If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. Welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I am uh, your host, Adam Kautzer, and today is the big day. Uh, we, we've we been talking about it on social media. Um, our alt-Oscar award show roundtable discussion. Um, with me today, I have I have all of the writers of, um, of the movie aisle, um, some that will be actually guesting in uh we've got uh, a couple of surprises for you um they're not going to be some people are not going to be joining but with me today i'm going to go ahead and um, introduce everybody in alphabetical order uh, we're going to start with marie o'sullivan hello marie how are you doing today hi i'm fine thank you all right uh why don't you we're going to do this at the top of the show guys we're going to just go ahead and have intro, uh, marie introduce herself and then give her social media um her social media handles so that you guys don't have to like you can instantly follow if you guys don't because if you aren't following marie or uh, shane or scott i don't know why you're even listening to the <laughs> podcast come on guys get with it <laughs> Very kind, very kind. Yes, uh, my name is Marie, and you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ReesyPie, that's R-E-E-S-I-E-P-I-E. Yeah, that's me. All right, great. Uh, next is Scott Phillips. Scott, you guys know from the podcast, and he's been writing with me forever, same with Marie. Uh, so, Scott, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and give everybody your social media handles and which, which and where. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm uh, Scott Phillips. My uh, Twitter handle is at mscott underscore Phillips. And uh, there's a lot of reason for that. Scott Phillips was taken. Michael Phillips is the critic for the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> so I had to go with a, a combination of the two. So I'm mscott underscore Phillips uh, at Twitter. Absolutely. And you are the better Phillips reviewer. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not I'm not trying to start a land war in in, in Twitter van uh, Twitterville, but you are. Let's just put it that way. Um, and then finally, uh, the newest addition to our uh, movie aisle family, Shane Singletary. Shane, why don't you like because this is actually the first time that they'll be um, hearing or reading up like, you know, about you. Why don't you give a little bit of uh, an introduction to yourself and tell the people where they can find you on social media? All right. Um, my name is Shane Singletary and I'm uh, based out of Dallas, Texas. Um, and I have, I started writing uh, kind of just small little blurbs of what I thought about films on, on Instagram. Uh, you can find that at uh, Shane on cinema and um I'm also on uh, Twitter, uh, Shane Singletary, and then uh, on Letterboxd as well, at Shane Singletary. 
absolutely. And then, of course, I'm Adam Kautzer. I am the editor-in-chief of The Movie Isle. Uh, I write I write for The Movie Isle also, a podcast. I do basically everything for The Movie Isle. I bleed The Movie Isle because it's mine. <laughs> you guys can find me on social media um, through the uh, Movie Isle handles. I'd much rather have you guys... Uh, like, you know, uh, follow me on the social media handles because I usually handle them. Um, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, they're all all one word, the movie aisle. Uh, no dashes, no lines. Um, that's, again, all of them are uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter are all the same thing. If you want to follow the podcast, it's Pod. the letter B, the word movie, and the word pod, all together, no lines, no dashes. Um, they're also, it's, just Twitter and Instagram, no Facebook for the podcast. I have enough. I have a hard enough time trying to keep up with the the Facebook movie aisle. Um, not adding more social media pages. I'm actually trying to downsize. I just want to not engage anymore. That's not true. I want to. I totally want to engage. So um, with that, um, we're we're doing alt Oscars. I think that all of us like kind of were shocked and aghast at certain choices that were made by the Oscars <laughs> and everybody is allowed to make any kind of digs you guys want. This is a safe space um, because like, you know, it, it was kind of shocking when you saw some of those Oscar choices. I mean, when the golden globes get something a little bit more right than, than the Oscars, there's something going on. There's something wrong. <laughs> so what I want to do is I want to ask each of you and we'll start with Marie, um, your thoughts on the Oscars. Um, and like I said, you can, you can be as honest as you want. You can be as reserved as you want. Um, <laughs> because this is part of the reason why we're doing this is that, like, you know, I think that all of us agree that, like, it was kind of like lunacy, some of the choices. And, uh, um, yeah, uh, it, it's like it feels better to actually talk about it and do something about it and say, no, this is this is what this is the right choice. So with that, Marie. So, I mean, I think we all agree that all awards are completely arbitrary anyway. And, and actually, there's no point to it. It's just an excuse. <laughs> um, so therefore, it, it doesn't matter who they nominate because it's all a load of rubbish anyway. However, <laughs> given that, it's such a big spectacle. Um, and I will admit, I'm in it for the frocks. I, you know, that's, <laughs> that's fair enough. But yes. um, I think in the last couple of years, there have been such a lot of anger and mess-ups and crazy nominations. And they did seem to be doing something about it, inviting new people to join and... But I think you can't get away from the fact that the people who <clears throat> make the choices just seem to have still missed the point this year. Um, and the there are some that I I don't I, I wouldn't have voted them for myself, but I also think, and nor should people be there as a token. But I do think, are you actually listening and watching these films and listening to what people are saying, or is it just you know your friends again? I don't know. Maybe that's too far. I don't know. But uh, I was very, very annoyed after they made those nomination uh, nomination announcements. Absolutely, um, uh, Scott. Uh, your your thoughts on on this? Because I mean, you know, I think that like uh, in Marie, you, you kind of put it succinctly. It is a pageant. It is a popularity yeah. contest. But yeah. at the same time, I think that they they add on to the 
they well i'll let scott talk and i'll i'll have my my points too so but scott what do you think about this year's oscars well to to key off of what marie just said you know the answer to are you watching these movies is is honestly no uh, and and it's something that I learned kind of early on in interviewing filmmakers that if you don't want to embarrass them, don't ask them about anything that's come out in about the last two years <laughs> because they're so buried in their own projects. They're not sitting around watching films with the regularity that we are. And so I found myself, you know, asking a filmmaker a question and saying, oh, have you seen blah, blah, blah? And I was going to analogize to it. And they're like, no, I haven't caught up with that one yet. And so I quickly realized if you're going to ask them about a movie, ask them about a movie from three, four five years ago. And they're likely to say, oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, so truly, the answer is, I mean, they haven't seen all of these films. They couldn't possibly have seen all these films. And then I think the other thing that you get into is the the manner in which you know things are kind of categorized in people's minds uh like an adam sandler oh he's the comedian who makes the terrible comedies uh or jennifer lopez you know oh she's the pop star uh you know people kind of come up with their labels for folks and a lot of times it's hard to cross over uh beyond that label and be considered as as something else uh, and then I also think that, you know, they have a short memory. I mean, a lot of people are uh, talking about the um, issue with regard to, uh, you know, people of color not being nominated. Uh, but I think one of the main ones, one of the main snubs, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, you know, her movie came out in February. And so the bottom line is, I think by the time voting time came around, she was like a distant memory. So I don't know that everything is is motivated by the things that some people think that they're motivated by, if that makes any sense. Uh, and so uh, it is very arbitrary. It has nothing, in my opinion, to do with what was the best of this year, because there are a lot of nominations and a lot of awards that clearly go to careers rather than to that particular part. I mean, seriously, Al Pacino won for Son of a Woman. Really? That's yeah. that's yes. his Oscar legacy. Really? Wow. <laughs> exactly. That's that's scary. So uh so and that kind of stuff happens. So, you know, it, it's it's a flawed process because, you know, it's it's entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh Shane, your thoughts on 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 this year's Oscars and just kind of how despondent it was. Yeah, I mean, I'll kinda of echo what Marie and Scott had already said. It's that, you know, these Academy members, I, they're just not watching the films. I mean, you look at 2019, and it's one of the better years in the past few years that we've had, you know, watching movies. And there's so many great films that came out and so many snubs. And then you see something like, you know, a Joker that gets 11 nominations, and you just kind of scratching your head and thinking, you know, what's going on? Um, so that was it's, – it's just interesting. And then, like Scott was mentioning about Lapita, I mean – her movie came out in February, and are these Academy members even thinking about uh, us, you know, in December, you know, or January when they're having to watch these movies and put in their their nominations? It's it's interesting how it all works. Uh, it's in the past few years, it's you know, ten years ago this didn't really bother me, but as I've gotten a little bit older and gotten a little bit more into some of the more uh, off the wall movies. Um, it's frustrated me more and more as I see, you know, one year 
the Academy makes a great decision and Moonlight wins Best Picture. And then a couple of years later, you know, something like Green Book wins mm-hmm. and you're scratching your head of, you know, you know, what's the disconnect? How come one year you can pick a beautiful, perfect movie and then a couple of years later you, you pick a, a down the road uh, movie like Green Book? It, it's it's baffling. <laughs> You're you're absolutely right. Um, I I like I I I feel like you guys perfectly crystallized like the problems with the Oscars and any award show for that matter because it's I think that a lot of it is pageantry. A lot of it is like you know glad handing and you know patting themselves on the back for a job well done. Um, I mean I think the biggest thing that we don't uh, like that that we've not talked about and is something that I see. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I, uh, b- because like I've been to a few of these things, um, is the, is the politicking of it all. Um, the, the people that are the people that glad hand the most are the ones that end up winning. Um, I, w- a few years ago I was invited to, because I gave a very glowing review to the darkest hour, the Winston Churchill film, um, about, basically like the other side of what Dunkirk was like, it was the political side of it. And it was a really enjoyable film, really well-made has a great Ben Mendelsohn performance. And I gave it a very effusive uh, praiseworthy review. And I was invited to a um, darkest hour party where I got to see the film again. And then they took us onto the queen Mary for like a meet and greet. Literally, the meat, like, you know, like, I'm sitting there talking, I talked to Gary Oldman for like three minutes while we were smoking cigars, and he was telling me about his research that he did with his wife, his wonderful wife, and then I got to, because no one was speaking to him, I got to speak to Ben Mendelsohn for 25 minutes about about David Mashad. And how he, re- I really needed him to do another David Mashad film. And he, and he like pointed his finger at his nose and he pointed at me and he goes, you never know. You never know with Mashad. He's a madman. Like, this is the kind of stuff that they like. And if you look at Darkest Hour, uh, Oldman won because he was out there and he was present and he was, he was glad handing. And. Like, you know, for me, it was great experience because I got to meet some of these guys. I mean, I've been watching Gary Oldman since um, since State of Grace. Like, I saw this madman who I was like, I was very, very sure was some Boston crazy lunatic that they hired. And then I find out that he's like, you know, he's from he's from England. And then I, I and then in quick succession, I find Sid and Nancy. And it's like, what? Who is this guy? Um but to see them and like like glad hand with them, it's it's like you can see it in motion. You can see what they're doing and how they're trying to like get to get to that prize. And so it, it's weird because like we put so much emphasis on the Oscars, even if we even if we know the stuff behind it, we still put it there because I mean, for for at least all my life, uh, like ever, like since I've learned about movies, the Oscars is like the, the crown, but then it's so weird because it's not necessarily like, like Shane was saying, it's not the best film that wins. I mean, sometimes they get it right, but it's like a friend of mine is fond of saying, um, about all things. He's like every, like, you know, a broken clock is always right twice a day. And it kind of feels like that sometimes. Um, but 
you know, like it, it's really weird. But all the same, I think that it is it's it's a good springboard for discussion about great films. Like, like, I think that like what was great about what happened post Oscars was not just the anger, because, of course, everybody's going to be Twitter mad. Right. But the after the discourse where everybody started talking about other films that were worthy, that's where it's like like you hope that film fans, when they're looking at film Twitter and they're seeing people talk about these other films, go, you know what? I didn't see that film. But you know what? If they're talking about that so much like it it was skipped over, I'm going to go see that movie. And that's where the juice is for me, is that it's a it's a starting off point. And I think that this this year for myself and the reason why I wanted to do the alt Oscars was because it was so egregious about certain things. And to be quite honest, I really don't want to see Sandman go back and do Jack and Jill, too. Like, I really don't. <laughs> I would I would like him to just start his way on a on a Robin Williams path but I don't think that that's going to happen but all the same it's like uh, uh yeah I mean like I just I I I like the Oscars as a discussion point and this is kind of like a great way to do it um so with that let's go ahead and transition into the awards themselves so guys how we're going to do this is is we're going to start from the bottom and work our way to the top um we're going to go ahead and announce the nominees, which you guys have probably already read, but I'm going to actually, the the nominees are actually going to be discussed by each of the writers that nominated them. So they're going to talk a little bit about it if anybody wants to add in to for that nominee. And then I'm going to go ahead and announce who the winner is. So with that, we're going to go ahead and take a small break for a musical interlude or something. Maybe Al Pacino's speech from Sin of a Woman, you know, the flamethrower one, <laughs> in honor of the alt Oscars. Maybe something from Green Book. Who knows? But uh, we'll see you back on the other side. All right, guys, we are back. And we are talking best screenplay original or adapted i didn't want to do two screenplay nods even though we're all writers and you guys probably all rolled your eyes when you just saw that you could that you could only pick a, an original or an adapted but not either or um but we're gonna actually start with marie's choice uh which was uh christian parzolt's uh adaptation of the book transit and the film of the same name. So I'm going to hand this over to Marie. Marie, why did you choose Transit? Well, it is one of the, it was among the best films that I saw last year. Um, <clears throat> but I think, and I've seen a lot of people say the same thing. It just seems to have disappeared a little bit without trace over the year. And I, I suspect it's fallen foul of the one inch high subtitle. Um, problem um <clears throat> because it just it wasn't getting any nominations anywhere so this is um but written by christian petzold um and adapted from a novel by anna Seegers, which was actually written in the 40s so it was contemporary at the time he has taken the essence of the story and brought it into modern times so that you have this kind of strange and ethereal look at refugees um, 
and their experiences, which can, which is parallels between what we're seeing now in various parts of the world and the feeling of what it was like during the Second World War in Casablanca, for example. You know, it has that feel about it, even though it's it's not that kind of thing. But you definitely are reminded of that. And what I really loved about it, I was thinking, yeah, it's a bit Casablanca. It's a bit, and it's a bit strange as well. You're not quite sure where you are with it, which is really clever. And then I read Petzold said, I always thought of Transit as a Douglas Sirk film made by Fritz Lang. <laughs> and I thought, yep, yeah, that's right. You have these two people in the middle and their relationship, well, in fact, more than two, but these relationships going on and a bit melodramatic perhaps. And then suddenly something really horrible happens or, you know, the tanks roll into town and it's, yeah, I loved it. I loved what he'd done to make it much more contemporary. And I just wanted to stand up for a film that just didn't get, I don't think, anywhere near the recognition it should have had this year. So that's that's my choice. Absolutely. I'm going to uh, I'm going to hop on to, to onto this because this is actually available right now on Amazon Prime in the US for free. Um, I made it a point to see the films, each of the films that I did not see and transit. If I had seen it in 2019, it would have made my, at least my top 10, if not my top five. It is an amazing film. Um, and you know, that's what this list is about is like, you know, discovery, hoping people will actually watch these films. And yeah, um, it's, it's a, it's a pretty bold film. Uh, I was genuinely shocked by how just I knew how good it would be because Marie, when you when you choose a film like I know it's it's there. There's something ineffable about it. But this one was especially like sitting there watching it going, oh, God, this is just wow. This is really, really, really good. Um, has anybody else seen Transit? Yes. Um, Scott, any thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys. It's a it's a great film, and and I love uh, Christian Petzold's work altogether. So I thought uh, he just keeps getting better. True, Shane. Have you seen Have you seen Transit? No, but it's this is like the fifth or sixth list I've seen it pop up on. So it's in my letterbox queue. So it's uh, one of the next films I have to see. Hearing do only good it, things. Do it. Do <laughs> it. Seriously, it's 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 a it is a serious it's a serious movie. It's a seriously great movie, and um, like like he was like he was saying like if you've seen Phoenix, it's kind of it, it's kind of like within that same wheelhouse which he did like he did Phoenix and I love Phoenix like Phoenix is one of my mm-hmm. favorite discoveries from the Criterion Collection of the newer things that they've brought out. Um, so the next uh, the next film that we're going to talk about is uh, Uncut Gems, written by the Safdie brothers and Ronald Bartstein. Uh, Scott actually chose this one, and <laughs> I think that this one's pretty, like, you know, pretty obvious, but I, I'd love to hear Scott talk about crime films. So, Scott, why don't you take it away and talk about this very special crime film? Yeah, uh, you know, Uncut Gems got kind of no love across the board uh, by the Oscars, and I've always had this this theory that uh, if you're going to do crime, if you're going to be sleazy, uh, you have to do it wearing a suit. Uh, so, you know, Goodfellas, 
gets Oscar nominations because they've got a nice wardrobe. And, uh, you know, Godfather gets uh, Oscar nominations because they're wearing tuxes. Uh, but if you do street-level sleazy, you, you don't get any love from, from the Academy. That's just a little too, too seedy uh, for them. And so uh, this was definitely a, a street-level uh, kind of, of crime film. And uh, sometimes people tell me it's not a crime film, and I'm like, what are you talking about? It's gambling and owing bookies money and ripping people off. And <laughs> if it's not a crime film, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, but um, but with the screenplay specifically, uh, it's one of those screenplays that has so many moving parts. I mean, there's just so many things going on in that movie, and sometimes so many things going on simultaneously. Uh, that you know, I, I tend to wonder if the screenplay looks more like a flowchart than a than a screenplay, uh, trying to trying to keep track of everybody, and, uh, and the overlapping dialogue. And so, to me, it's amazing in in screenplay and performance when you have something that's clearly mapped out on paper, yet the movie feels improvised. And so that's what, and I know that there were moments of improvisation within the film, but, uh, and so to me, that's a mark of, of a really good screenplay is it, it seems so real and it seems so, you know, almost like documentary, like cinema verite, like, uh, that, uh, that you almost forget that, that this is a screenplay and people learning lines and, and people having to, uh, hit those lines at the right moments in and around everybody else's lines. And so, uh, I, I just think that it's a really well-written, uh, film. And so, uh, you know, it got no love because they weren't wearing ties. <laughs> um, anybody want to add to what Scott has said about Uncut Jeb's script? Well, I'm yeah, just I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll, Shane. <laughs> no, go ahead, Shane. Sorry, we're on a delay. Okay, <laughs> no problem. Yeah, so when Scott was mentioning about the uh, just the script and how there's so many moving pieces and it almost feels like a flow chart and that there's so many people talking over each other, I thought it was interesting that I had read somewhere that the Safdie brothers had. Um, I think it was over a hundred like screenplay pages of ADR dialogue, um, which is kind of insane to me. So that's you know, dialogue they're going in after the film's finished and adding a um, hundred pages of extra dialogue like that in ADR is is pretty insane. Uh, I, I would like I haven't actually read the script. It would be interesting if how they put that into the script or if it's you know sidebars. I'm not quite sure, but it's it's pretty fascinating. Right, I'm gonna. Mm. I, I gotta. I gotta put an asterisk on that because that it, something I I have. I have just some general knowledge of. But uh, Marie, you were gonna say something about Uncut Gems. I, I was just gonna say it was only released in the UK on the 10th of January, so you know, um, we haven't had as long to see it. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen it at all. But it drops on Netflix next Friday, which is just bizarre. Say what? So, so I'm just saving That's my money. Crazy. No, I'm, I'm not going to spend. I'm going to just watch it on Netflix. Um, <laughs> Especially so, with your 4K monitor, yeah, I, exactly. I'd say yeah. Yeah, if, I'd rather not spend money on Adam Sandler, so I'll let him entertain me for free on Netflix <laughs> um, and be proved wrong, presumably. But there you go. But yeah, if if you you know if you're geographically nearer me than you, then it's not been out all that long. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so like a couple of additional things about Uncut Gems script, it took them 10 years to make, uh, 10 years to write. 
Um, wow. 10 years, they were working towards this. This is the movie that, I mean, and they've said this on multiple podcasts, that this was the movie that they were working to back in 2008 when um, A20, uh, A24 took a, a took a shine to them and started um, like doing the long game with them and like basically giving them money when they needed. Um, they created this script and they gave it to Sandler in 2008. Could you imagine that? 2008. And it took them 10 years to get to the point. They changed basketball stars multiple times. Like the basketball star that is in the movie is not the one that they actually wanted. Um, if you guys didn't hear, it was an, and this is for basketball heads out there. Uh, because I know that a few are out there because I'm a basketball head, so they listen to the podcast. It was Joel Embiid. And it makes sense when you know about the Opal and how the movie opens. It was at the last minute that they had to change it to Kevin Garnett and change it to 2012. Um, which doesn't seem like at all like a, like a switcheroo, but it was. When you would consider, like if you know who Joel Embiid is, um, and the the Black Opal, like it makes a complete sense why they went that route. Um, it just proves to me how facile and interesting and uh, the ability to bend that the Safdie brothers have. I have seen the screenplay. I have read it. It's it's a document between three madmen. It literally <laughs> like I had a friend that that um, gave it to me. Um, over the holiday because I flipped my lid for this movie and I was talking to him about it and he was like, you know what, early Christmas present, here's something that not a lot of people have. Um, so he gave me the script. It was actually the script script. It was like printed out. It's a document of Mad Men. It really is. <laughs> like you can tell, like it's professional and it's done well, but the detail that's there, you, you would be shocked. And there's like just swath of dialogue that has changed completely but still stays within the realm of the, the, the stays within the realm of, of the characters. And then there's a, an appendix and the appendix is like what you were talking about. Shane is just random bits of ADR dialogue that attach to certain scenes that make the scene pop a little bit more. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big thing. I'm so jealous of Marie that she just gets to watch it on Netflix. I just keep on, I'm like, my mind is blown. Like Netflix, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, gotta find that cheat code. <laughs> um, so the next, uh, the next film on our list is Trey Edward Schultz's script for Waves. And Shane selected this one. And I'm going to let him talk a little bit about Waves. Okay, uh, going into Waves, um, I definitely had a preconceived notion of what I thought the film was going to be about, or what it was going to, how it was going to unfold. Um, if you've seen the the trailer, it definitely has that A twenty four vibe. Um, it definitely has shades of a Moonlight style. Um, you've got a lot of three hundred and sixty degree shots, shots near the Florida water, um, a lot of dialogue, um, a mentor. So I had. I definitely had my, in my head, okay, this is kind of how the beats are going to play out. Um, and then I watched the film and I was absolutely heartbroken um, numerous times. Um, and that's really due in part to a very um, kind of off the wall script, not something that uh, it's not a film I, like I've seen before. It, it just, it, it starts down one path and then, midway through the movie it 
goes into a completely different uh, path. I don't want to get into any kind of spoilers uh, just because the, uh, the situation that happens in the film is, is it really caught me off guard. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was just, it, it's, it's a movie that it's not my favorite of the year. Um, it's might not even be my favorite script of the year, but it's, it's one that's moved me. And, and I really consistently think about, uh, I think the film's coming out to Blu-ray pretty soon and, and I can't wait to get my hands on it and, and rewatch it, um, kind of with fresh eyes. Um, but I'm sure I'll be heartbroken, uh, yet again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Scott or Marie, um, I know Scott, you've seen waves. We've talked about waves and Marie, yeah. um, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree with, uh, with, uh, Shane with regard to the idea that, it doesn't go where you're expecting it to go. And, and I love films, uh, that do that. I think probably if I have, you know, one fault, uh, as, uh, as a critic, it's probably giving too many originality points. You know, you just see so many movies and, and especially, I mean, I'm the oldest one on this podcast. Uh, you've been watching movies as long as I've been watching movies and seen as many of them as I have, you know, just seeing something different is so nice. And so I think at times, you know, I'll even have friends be like, dude, that movie sucked. And I was like, yeah, but it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. So, you know, (laughs) four out of five stars. Uh, but, uh, and, and so, uh, waves is, is that kind of film. It's, it's the kind of movie that shouldn't work, but it does. And, and it's the shift that Shane is talking about that I won't spoil either. Uh, that's just so unexpected. And so in, in lesser hands, I think it would play almost like, you know, two different ideas that were somehow kind of jammed together. Uh, and yet it, it works so well because the screenplay is so good. And so, uh, you know, I, I agree that, uh, I mean, I think I had it number three or four on my top 10 of 2019. So, uh, I, I love the film and, uh, a lot of it is because of the, uh, the screenplay. Absolutely. Uh, Marie, have you seen waves? Mm-mm, no, um, just checking the release date here was 17th of January. So that's just a, just over a week ago. And I think I missed it. I don't hmm. think. It, and it's not playing at the moment anywhere near me. Um, so, hmm, I'm sitting here waiting for it, and I, it looks like it's passed me by. That's disappointing. I, I'm pretty sure that it'll be on Netflix in two weeks for you. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> um, I ha- um, I've, of course, I've, I've seen this. Um, I've seen this, too. This is, this is a rough ride. This is, this is, it's, it's rough but worth it. Um, if there was a if there was a score nomination, I would instantly not even let you guys vote, and I would make the screen the the score by um, Resner and Atticus Ross the winner because th- the the way that the score is used and ha- the score itself with the needle drops are in direct opposition of one another. And it kind of is this amazing piece of work that, um, I've actually listened to a lot more than I probably should. Um, it's, 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 it's a good, it's, it's a, it's a challenging watch. I should say because of the because of the moment that Scott and, 
uh, Shane are talking about, which again, I won't, uh, I won't ruin. And um, to be quite honest, I think that um, people talked initially about Sterling K. Brown, but didn't really bring him back into the fold in like an awards capacity. And I think that he is amazing in this film. I know that we have a nominee here from the movie, but I think that it's needs to be mentioned of the overbearing, like father genre. He does something. Wow. That you can't even, you can't even imagine like when you see it and it, it starts in one place and ends in another. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah, Adam, I'll, I'll something else I, I forgot to mention, and, and this is another script I'd like to get my hands on. It, it, when Trey talked about this on another podcast, he had said that he has a digital version of where he, within the script, he literally put in those needle drops. So he had it planned from the very beginning oh, wow. of where he wanted those needle drops to happen. And in the script, I'm not sure exactly how it works, mm-hmm. but he has those all placed in the script, and it's almost like kind of a, a, a kind of a living script where you can kind of push buttons and he's you can hear the music as you're actually reading along with the script uh oh, wow. it's pretty interesting yeah because that, that all those needle drops were all planned and and they work uh perfectly oh, oh yeah they do like the one thing i was going to say about both uncut gems and waves is like for a guy like for me for a guy who's a hip-hop head like these two films use like hip-hop in the way that Scorsese uses classic rock in his films like it's the needle drops are done like in a way that very few films that have hip-hop in them use them accordingly and I mean there's more there's more to the needle drops than just hip-hop but there's a big primary force at work that's that is that is that genre and it's never I always feel like whenever people use like hip-hop they always seem to use it in the most derogatory manner and both of those films used the music in a very articulate and um thoughtful way so, yeah, no, absolutely. I got to get my hands on that one, too. <laughs> um, uh, and so speaking of music and hip hop and um, culture, uh, my choice was Lena Waithe's script for Queen and Slim, um, a movie that I felt like made a big bang at first and then just kind of went and receded into the background. I I think that the reason why I chose it was because the film is starts off as one thing and it kind of morphs itself using that using using that curve to something that i feel is a little bit more meditative than people thought and methodical uh than they initially thought that they were getting because i think that when people initially saw the trailer i think that they thought they were getting like some kind of crime film where once like once the inciting incident happens that it's like okay what the hell let's go at this let's do this and it's so not that movie um it's this movie about like these two people that are on this this like almost this journey across America, but not um, there's specific reasons why they're running. Um, but it talks a lot about it's just it's it's refreshing to watch a movie where people are having conversations, but meaningful conversations and meaningful for them, meaningful for an audience and she managed uh, wait managed to under like like not so subtly but sometimes very subtly like make critiques about america and not just 
Like, I think that if, I think that people would would think that they, she's making a critique about white America. She's not. She's she's making a critique about America and everything that's within it. And it just it really bowled me over just how unexpectedly sharp and acute it was, but also that it wasn't the genre that you initially think um, it is. Has anybody else seen Qu- uh, Queen and Slim? We don't get uh, it I, until January 31st, so... Uh, oh! hmm Okay. Yeah, for me, I haven't actually seen it um, here in Dallas. It uh, kind of came and went uh, pretty quick. Uh, I did have plans to see it, but, you know, there were several things towards the tail end of last year that I was trying to, to get knocked out and watch uh, to make a, my, la- my end-of-year list, and for some reason here in, in the area, it came out and was out for a little while and seemed to just kind of disappear really quick. All right. Yeah, I uh, I missed it. It's one of my uh, omissions of 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 2019. I had been to catch up with it for year end list purposes, and uh, the the stack was too high. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that all too well. All right. So with the four nominations, uh, Kristen Presolt for Transit, the Safety Brothers and Ron Ballstein for Uncut Gems, Treasure Saltz for Waves, and Lena Waithe for uh, Queen and Slim. The winner is the Safety Brothers and Ronald Board scene for Uncut Gems. Yay! Cue cue awards clapping and the Safety Brothers <laughs> making some crazy ass speech with Ronald Boardstein. Um, I, and this was so like I'm just gonna give a little bit of uh, of transparency. This took 78 percent of the votes. Guys, you guys loved Uncut Gems script uh, and. I don't blame you guys. It's 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 a beast like no other. So with that, uh, did anybody want to add on to the win or are we are we good to move on to the next category? I'm good. I'm good. I won, yeah, so I'm good. <laughs> uh, okay, so the um the next uh the next award is going to be for best supporting actor male. Um, and so we're going to hand it off to Marie again and her pick, which is Wendell Pierce for Burning Cane. Yeah, um, this is a really interesting one. I, I picked him because I wanted this film to get some recognition somewhere. Uh, Wendell Pierce is the only actor who you would know. The rest of the cast in this film is largely unknown, I think. Um, directed by Philip Humans. Um, a 19-year-old who has created this... I mean, it's not perfect, but it is a, a quite an astonishing film with Wendell Pierce at kind of... as one of the central points of it. And the film's been picked up and distributed by Ava DuVernay's company, Array, so that's what brought it to my attention. Um, it, it's on Netflix here, I'm guessing the same over there. Yes, it is. And, um, yeah, and it is... A performance of it's such a, a sad personality who sh, who is very small and diminished and yet is a big person physically and in the center of the community that he he's kind of pathetic and yet understandably human at the same time it's really difficult to understand so that's why I chose that and I also hope it points people to looking at the film Burning Cane 
which I think deserves a look as well. I think this is the start of um, a very interesting career for the director as well. Um, I'm going to hop in right away and say, yeah. like, again, Marie, like you, your your choices and your tastes, whenever, like, I get your reviews and I read something and it raises the the rock eyebrow, well, even though I can't do the rock eyebrow, <laughs> but it definitely does, I, I'm like, okay, when can I see this? And then I, I watched it the week that it premiered on um, Netflix and this is a this is another challenging film, but a really rewarding yeah, film. And Usman, like it just it didn't it, it just shocked me that he was nineteen I and he know. made this film. And yeah. Wendell Wendell Pierce read the script and went, "I want to do this with this kid. I'm going to support yeah. this kid." Yeah, because he's also a producer on this and put up his own money. I was reading he put up a lot of his own money to do this film. And we're talking about overbearing fathers like with Sterling K. Brown. This is another one like um, but it's a very different uh, type of overbearing father. And he is amazing in the film. Like, I'm really glad that you nominated him. Um, Shane or Scott, have either one of you seen Burning Cane? I, um, I I haven't seen it, but uh, I'm a huge Wendell Pierce yep. fan. He will forever be Bunk Westmoreland from The Wire for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, all that did was, was serve to show just what a fabulous actor he is. So if I see his name on a list like this, it, it doesn't phase me nor surprise me, even though I haven't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Shane, have you seen uh, Burning Cane? No, I'm going to be totally transparent. This is the first I've even heard of this movie, and that's saying so. I mean, I'm pretty uh, well versed in the films that gets released, and this is the first I've ever even heard of this film. So that's it's good. Absolutely, I'm adding it to my list now. <laughs> um, one thing more about Burning Cane that shocked me was it's it's a really visually arresting film. Mm-hmm. Usman not only wrote directed it, but he also shot it himself. So just to add into a triple, like a, an unusual triple threat of he's a photographer, like he's a he, he's a DP, a director and a writer. So it just like if anything, this nomination, I feel like is just like the the let's watch out for this kid because the next movie is going to be. And I know that he's working actually with a Ray and Ava mm-hmm. DuVernay for his next film, whatever it's going to be like. Thank you, Maria. I'm going to be there for it. I'm going to be very yeah. excited good all right so scott you chose (laughs) oh man like i love i i I love how salty you can be sometimes scott so um willem dafoe and the lighthouse um this one pissed me off too uh just for the lobster speech but why don't you go ahead and talk to me about (laughs) why don't you go talk to me a little bit about this that's I what I was going to say. Can I, guys, can I interject here? Sure. We don't get this to the end of January again, so no spoilers, please. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. That was going to be my exact uh, uh, reaction, Adam. I was going to be like, uh, evidently nobody likes his lobster because he uh, he didn't get <laughs> nominated for this. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's fascinating because I figured if anything, he would get like the career nomination. Yep. You know, and and even maybe the career win, you know, he's had so many uh, Oscar nominations in the past and has had so many awards worthy performances that when I saw this film, I thought, ah, this film's a little offbeat. It's probably not exactly the Academy's cup of tea, but 
if anybody were to get, uh, you know, uh, a career win for this film, it would be deserving because the performance in and of itself is deserving. And so naturally the Academy, you know, threw me a curveball, and he didn't even get nominated. So, uh, I, I couldn't figure that one out, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, just a great performance of him basically channeling his own version of like Captain Ahab. Uh, and so he, he worked hard on the, the accent and, and the mannerisms and everything. And, and it's just, uh, you know, it's just a great performance. And so, uh, it is, uh, unfortunate that, uh, that he didn't make the cut. Absolutely. Uh, Shane, I know that you're a fan of this film. So, uh, what, did you have anything to add about Willem Dafoe and the lighthouse? Yeah. I mean, I'll just say, you know, kind of what Scott said is it's kind of shocking that it wasn't nominated just for almost it being one of those kind of career, uh, awards nominations and maybe even a, a possible win. Um, we always knew that the, the best supporting actor, um, category was going to be kind of tough sledding just because it was probably the most robust, uh, field and all of the, the nominations I would say. Um, but his performance, I mean, it was so gloriously over the top, um, in, in the best possible ways. Um, the lobster scene is, is incredible. It's next level. Uh, there's another scene. I don't want to get into too many spoilers. Uh, but there's a scene, um, with a shovel and some dirt involving Will- Willem Dafoe. And, and if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that alone right there should have, have garnered a nomination. Absolutely. Um, Marie, you're in for a really weird transfixing treat. If, if you guys could see my face right now, this, uh, I have no idea. I, She's probably like, the, what are you talking about? I know. Apart from the trailer. Exactly. I'm like, what? Shovels and lobsters and okay, but I I'm a fan of Robert Pattinson when he does <laughs> films like this. So you know yes. he is he's got some great projects on the go. So well, uh, I'm ready for this at the end of this coming week. Yeah. Well, Marie, I will tell you this: don't feel bad if you don't like it because uh, I was at one of the uh, press screenings at Fantastic Fest for uh-huh. this film, and and actually Robert Eggers was there, and. Uh, and at the end of the press screening, it was like a combination of, oh, my God, that's just genius. And what the hell was that? <laughs> so, so I mean, it was split right down the middle. I think it's a divisive okay. film with, with everybody. So uh, if you watch it and go, I just don't know what everybody sees in this, uh, you're in a good, uh, you know, half of the reactions <laughs> out there probably. Good to know. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little bit in here. Um it's okay to laugh at this film. It's meant to be laughed at because it is ridiculous. I'm going to tell people, like, you don't have to take it deathly seriously, even though there are moments where you go, oh, what's going on here? But it's, I think it's actually meant to be kind of a really dark comedy. Um, but I will say this much. Um, when I first watched it, I was sitting there laughing, um, like, at some point, in some moments, very hysterically, because it's just, it's very esoteric and in, in the way that things are going in. and then Defoe is just there's a lot of fart jokes there is a lot of fart <laughs> jokes <laughs> um I mean like so much so that it's like like Ozu and him like like I'm almost wondering if um Eggers likes Ozu because it's that kind of like 
Like the fart joke is definitely something that becomes a bit of a thing in this movie. Um, but just as a side note, when I was watching it, because I was watching it as a, uh, I was watching it with an award screener um, that I got, and just for my year end stuff, and uh, my fiance Christina was in and out of like you know doing chores and stuff. She just didn't want to see it, but. When the lobster scene came on and like it started and she could hear like she was in the room. And then when he starts raising his voice, she started to look 10 like I I guess it's like a five or seven minute like monologue. Like like after it was done, I looked at her. She looked at me and she goes, what the fuck are you watching? And then just left. (laughs) My Uh, wife said the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right? She couldn't handle it. She could not handle it. It's just not her cup of tea. No, it's, it's definitely, I mean, like, like my favorite thing is there's like, like, um, it really kind of reminds me in a weird way of the Lynch monkey crime detective short film that he just did. Um, (laughs) In a very weird way. I mean, like, there's points where Pattinson has an egregion with a bird, and it's a very real thing. Um, it's 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 it is the most sideways weird thing that you could watch. It's it is very 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 weird. Um, but Defoe is electric in it, and absolutely should have been nominated. Um, and it's just it's almost like the anti Florida project. like like role for him it's like you could watch both of these films and go that's the same dude really yeah (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's definitely acting with a capital a you know there's no (laughs) there's 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 no no restraint here this is not a a subtle uh quiet kind of performance but uh to, to echo the the fiance and and wives comments that uh that you all uh uh made uh, I get, you know, award screeners at the end of the year. And so I put them in a shoebox. And so my friends over the years have, have gotten to know the shoebox. And so at the end of the year, uh, I become convinced that I only get invited over to their house for dinner and stuff because they didn't say, hey, will you bring the shoebox with you <laughs> and, uh, so that they can pick out a movie to watch? And so uh, my wife uh, has this expression of there are normal people movies. And then there are my movies. (laughs) And so she's like, you need to pick something out for everybody to watch, but it can't be one of your movies. It needs to be something normal people would want to watch. And so I can assure you that the lighthouse is in a my movie category. That is not one that I would get out uh, at a, uh, a party or a get together to show people. I'm pretty sure, Scott, that it's not even in the shoebox. It's in the closet buried underneath, like, you know, cat toys and everything else. She's made sure of it. <laughs> probably, yeah, probably so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, 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 like, I knew that that one was going to be a <laughs> was going to be a was going to be a conversation. Um, uh, so, Shane, you um, you picked Song Kang Ho from uh Parasite. And why don't you talk a little bit about the reasons why you chose this really great performance? Yeah, so kind of to echo what what I talked about just a few minutes ago is that we always knew that this Best Supporting Actor category is is pretty stacked. I mean, you've got Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, Joe Pesci, Al Pacino, Tom Hanks. Those are the, the final nominees. 
Um, but there were so many great supporting male performances this year. You brought up uh, Sterling K. Brown for Waves as well. Um, so I kind of always felt, I mean, as soon as I saw Parasite, I knew um, what I was seeing was something definitely very special. Um, and Song Kang-ho, is just he kind of is the glue that holds that, that whole film together. Um, it's a very quiet, um, kind of nuanced performance at times. Uh, he does a lot with his eyes. Um, and I was just, I was floored throughout the whole film. Um, and I thought his performance was, was perfect. Um, I would have loved to see him, uh, get a nomination. Um, but you know, that's, like I said, I kind of always felt like his performance was kind of on the outside looking in, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, in another year, he might've been the front runner and another year he might've won. Um, so it's, it's upsetting, but like I said, it's, it was a stacked uh, category this year. No, it absolutely was. Um, Song Kang Ho's Parasite performance is actually one of my favorites of the year. Like, I would uh, actually make a like. I know it sounds weird, but I would actually make a. I would actually make a. Um, uh, I would make a like an argument that it's own like. I like that it's in supporting actor, um, but I would almost make a, a point of it being best actor because of where the film goes. Like it's it's an ensemble piece until like say the last. I mean, and everybody that I know that everybody has seen Parasite on this podcast, and I'm not going to ruin this this wonderful movie. But when the thing that happens happens, it becomes. It morphs into a film that is focused on him, and I could almost make the argument, like the the argument that it it's it's his film at the end. Um, but um, all the same, it's <laughs> he's so good in this film. Like he's always been good. Like since I saw him back in the late '90s in a movie called JSA. Um, which is about like if people don't like this is the perfect time to talk about this like if people have not seen like if if Kung's, uh, Song Kang Ho's first intro like your introduction to this guy is Parasite please for the love of God go back and watch his work because starting with JSA which is about these soldiers that are on the uh, the DMZ the the demilitarized zone line of North Korea and South Korea and how these North Korean and South Korean soldiers begin to like through circumstances begin to get to know one another and he's one of the actors in that film and he is the most heartbreaking part of that film and i mean from his work with with uh with bong joo ho to his work with um uh uh chan wook park He's worked with some of the greatest directors in the world because he's working with a bunch of South Korea, like some of the like some of the great South Korean directors. Um, and this is kind of like a culmination of his work with Bong Joo Ho. Uh, I really, really, really like this film, and I like this. I, I love his performance. Uh, did anybody else want to add to the the love for uh, Sung Kang Ho? Yeah, I mean he's uh, he's amazing in the film. He's got an amazing career, as you just pointed out. Uh, he's kind of you can take your pick: Robert De Niro, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, kind of their relationship with Martin Scorsese. Uh, that's the way he is with Bong Joon Ho, uh, and so he was in Memories of Murder. He was in The Host. 
he was in Snowpiercer. And so, you know, if you go watch, uh, you know, Bong Joon-ho's uh, filmography, uh, you're going to see his performances all throughout. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a spectacular uh, actor. I was happy to see that cast uh, win the SAG Award for uh, Best Ensemble uh, in a drama. So they may not have gotten the individual acting nods from the, uh, the Academy, uh, but as far as from their peer group, you know, their fellow actors, uh, they won the biggest award there is to win uh, if you're an actor. And so that was nice to see this past week. Absolutely. Shane, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Marie, did you have anything to add? I know that you uh, like like we've talked about, like how special Parasite is and what you did to go and see it. And you haven't even like so I'll, I'll just let you if you want to talk. Yeah, I mean, I didn't nominate this. I didn't nominate song because I knew somebody else would. So I, I just gave it up and thought I'd go for my other nomination. But I knew somebody would because he's too good not to have been nominated. I love him. I think he's brilliant on and off screen. It's fantastic. So, yeah, wholeheartedly um, second, third or fourth, whatever it is, this nomination. Absolutely. Um, and then finally, my choice was Zima for the uh, the farewell. He plays Billy's father in the movie. Um, the farewell was one of the uh, like you know what people consider one of the most egregious um, like m- misses from the Academy. And a lot of that movie is actor base and like the relationships that are built within. Um, I think I equated it to a, a Hal Ashby film. Like Lulu, uh, Lulu Wong has created a movie that's, that's so like defies expectations because it's like, they, like the trailer said, or like the movie actually says based on a true lie, uh, which is kind of fun. And Sima uh, playing like, it's a role that he's played a lot of times in, um, in not only in Asian cinema, but like in U.S. cinema with a uh, with um, Asian um, with Asians, and um, he plays the father figure. But it's done in such a beautiful, different way um, than than the than the typical like the the typical like father figure and that's partially the reason why i did uh i did choose him so um with that did anybody want to add to that i was just gonna point out that uh he tortured jack bauer on 24 (laughs) and so i cannot forgive him his war crimes so (laughs) but no it's a great it's a great performance he's a super actor I agree. Great, it was a great performance. I love that film. I have not seen it. Um, all right. So with that drum roll, we actually have a tie. The tie is both with forty-seven percent of the vote. Um, Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse and Song Kang Ho for Parasite. I could not think of a better <laughs> of a better um twosome to to share this award uh so yeah uh so i think if anything it just tells people you know like like shane was saying it's it's a very overstuffed a very overstuffed year for best supporting actor so even that that particular the choices that they made were 
actually solid and good. It just, there were so many other performances that you guys could go with. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and move on to best supporting actor female. And again, we're going to go ahead and start with Marie, um, whose choice was Octavia Spencer for loose. Yes. So, um, I saw loose at London film festival last year. Um, and had a really strange experience in that I was kind of enjoying the performances, but the audience kept laughing at strange points in the in the film where they weren't supposed to be laughing. It was not a funny film at all. I mean, it, it, it gave me a really strange perspective on the film. And I came out um, and thought I really liked Octavia Spencer and the young man at the centre of it who has a good career I'm sure but Octavia is Octavia she is well you know what you're going to get with her she's she's so good she's so strong she's as confused as the audience is she is pulled every which way by the characters um and really it's just written all over her face so I just thought she gets my vote this time absolutely it's it's it, it like it is a good performance. It's a very good performance and very different because she adds the layer to the like what could be considered the bad guy role, which I know sounds weird, but it's it's this it's a very interesting it, it's it's a Blumhouse film out here that didn't really get a lot of play, but or no, I'm sorry, a neon film that didn't get a lot of play, but still a really, really, really good performance. Um so the next the next choice is uh from I think it was yes it was Scott um Scott why don't you tell us why you chose Taylor Russell for Waves Yeah she um is an is an amazing young actress uh I think it always impresses me when uh, the young unknowns uh, carry a film and so I, I wouldn't say that Kelvin Harrison Jr. is entirely an unknown uh, her co-star I mean he's in Loose that, uh, that Marie was just talking about and uh, he uh, was also in um, uh, help me Adam what is Schultz's the middle movie that he made Oh, um, uh, it comes, it at, comes night. at night. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I was blanking on the title, but obviously he is, uh, the son, uh, in, in that film. And so, uh, she and he, these, these two young actors, uh, basically carry the entirety of waves. And so in, in my little write up, I said, uh, that, uh, you know, he kind of hands the baton off to her. Uh, midway or two thirds of the way through the film, and that it's kind of a heavy baton to run with because his performance was so good. And so we have this tale of kind of siblings, and uh, and in a way they're each kind of given their own moment in the spotlight. And I won't say exactly how that transition occurs or why, uh, because it would spoil the film. And so it's she's not put in an enviable position with the way that her part works because she's very much in the background. She's very much a minor character for the first two thirds of the movie. 
uh, while he's kind of in the spotlight. And then in a way, the story gets handed off to her and she kind of becomes the focal point for a while. And so, uh, you know, not an easy transition to go from from a supporting player to really virtually the lead player uh, for the final act of a film. And so uh, I thought she did a uh, a fantastic job with that and, and carried that weight with with no problem. Absolutely. It's it, it, it's definitely one of those, you know, um, lifting performances like it's a heavy lifting performance. You, you got to be a got to be a good actress to do what she did in this film. Um, Shane, you chose Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers, which is by all accounts like one of the bigger missteps that the Oscars made. Why don't you talk a little bit about why you chose her? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's exactly where I was going with, with this is, you know, going into the nominations, I, I pretty much had my locks of who was going to be nominated. And uh, pretty much along the, the awards campaign, you know, Jennifer Lopez was getting, you know, nominations, you know, all over the place. So I, this was kind of one of those categories where it was it was pretty much a lock. She's going to get a nomination. Um, um, unfortunately, I think the Academy did kind of what they like to do with some of these films, like Scott was mentioning about Uncut Gems. This is kind of one of those films that the Academy doesn't tend to give love to, unfortunately. I think Jennifer Lopez's performance is, it's so charismatic. Um, anytime she's on the screen, you're mesmerized by her. Um, I haven't seen a performance like this from her in, in quite a while. Um, and, you know, what she was able to do in, in the role was... Uh, you know, I liked it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so for our next nominee, Diana Lynn for The Farewell, I actually have a special guest that's going to be uh, that recorded something for us. And that's Spencer Howard of, um, I'm going to totally get this wrong, um, Super, it's like Super Max Pops? Um massive a super massive pop that's that's what it is um his new website um uh he, we both um, both me scott and marie have all worked uh for spencer at one point through the film dispenser.com uh website and he's now created this new great website um and some podcasts that are coming out and we love spencer so i'm gonna actually let him talk a little bit about diana lynn and the farewell since the farewell was a very big film for him Nice. Spencer from supermassivepop.com back again to talk about um, my uh, best supporting actress um, in a feature film. Um, and that uh, that nominee for me in this alternative Oscars goes to um, uh, Diana Lynn from The Farewell. Um, uh, Diana Lynn plays um, Lujan, who is um, Aquafina's character, Billy, it's her mom. Um, and I think it's a role that very easily could have been uh, phoned in, uh, could have been less than it was. Um, but um, Lynn's character uh, sort of carries the weight of um, watching the effect of her uh, marriage on an entire family, uh, dealing with the years and years of passive-aggressive family dynamics, um, also uh, trying to love and support her her daughter, uh, Billy, played by Aquafina, who is going through a, a, a tremendous crisis of, uh, of conscious, uh, conscience, uh, trying to uh, decide how to handle um, this secret they are keeping from their their grandmother, um, and and uh, Lynn's uh, mother-in-law in the film. Um, it's a it's a role that she really 
genuinely could have been curmudgeonly and that's the end of it or sort of blank and that's the end of it and the film um, would have survived that sort of performance um, but instead she makes her presence absolutely essential um, in understanding um, her her husband who is uh, the mother of, of Nainai the grandmother who's been diagnosed with cancer um, and she um, and, and the dynamic she plays within uh, her family in the United States um, versus the family they left in China um, it's just a really, really essential part by virtue of the performance. The writing is good for it, um, but again, it's a, it's a role that you could say the same words with so much less, and then the film becomes even lesser. Um, and it's the kind of performance that uh, in other films um, had, say, a Meryl Streep or some bigger, um, more established Hollywood actress played the part, um, I feel like would have been raved as the standout, you know, performance that it kind of unlocks the understanding of an entire family in a lot of ways. Um, and so to me, she's one of the, the, the unsung heroes of the film. And I guess in this case of the Oscars, she is, uh, they're all unsung heroes in the farewell, not even nominated for best picture. Um, and, and as, um, you know, it's my favorite movie of the year. I thought it was the best movie of the year. And for, for, um, even its performances to be overlooked is a, is a pretty big shame in my opinion. Um, but Diana Lynn, um, uh, pay attention to how she looks at the dinner tables, especially. She's, she's so good in those moments, in those uh, quieter, quieter moments or those more um, sort of the, the, the serious or sarcastic pauses. Watch your face. It's pretty good stuff. Um, it's great stuff. Um, but check it out. But yeah, she's my, uh, my best uh, supporting actress. Alternative nominee. Should have been. Should have been. 2019. All right. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you so much. Uh, he's he's just a mensch like for for doing this uh, for doing this for us. I know that he wanted to be on here, but as I think that some of us know, he has a very special date that he has to keep. Um, but the winner of Best Supporting Actor Female by a landslide, 74 percent of the vote was given to Jennifer Lopez um, in Hustlers. Does anybody want to add to what Shane has talked about uh, with Hustlers? Um, I, I think it's a, it, like for me, it, it, it was like, you know, it's the, oh, Jennifer Lopez, you're welcome back. Welcome back. Please continue this. I don't care what the Academy does. Just continue doing whatever this is. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the the, the interesting thing uh, to me about that performance is it's basically what you remember about that movie. I mean, it's a good overall film, but kind of like, uh, I don't know, there have been examples, you know, throughout the years of all the, of the smaller performances that, that stand out that you remember. And, uh, and so to me, that's kind of the definition, honestly, it's the definition to me of a best supporting actor or actress winner is that they virtually walk away with the movie. And so that's why I was so surprised that she wasn't nominated as heck. I thought that she had a decent chance to win. Uh, and so hers is just the performance that, that you remember from that film. And we'll go back to that film to show people and to watch again, and so uh, it's uh, definitely a, a crime against art that she didn't wind up nominated this year. Marie? I have not seen this, but maybe if it had subtitles, I might have gone to see it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there is a subtitle option on the Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, um, 
I, like to, just to add on to what um to what's uh what uh, Scott was saying is um one of the like one of the main things that I thought about when I saw this film after this is um she's the Pesci in Goodfellas but in a very different way it's not a violent performance but it's that performance that stops you dead in your tracks and go Oh yeah, this movie may be about this person, but the center, the gravity of the movie is this person. And like she is the gravity of this movie. And when she leaves, you feel it. For better or for worse, you feel it. And then when she comes back, you feel it. Um so yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 a big misnomer for, for them. I just hope that that she's in it for the work. Because, like, it is a very welcome return for her. Like, for me, it is a very welcome return. Like, you know, to see her... Uh, I mean, I remember sitting in the theater just, like, flabbergasted by how good she was in Out of Sight. And she had not been that good since for me. And this one kind of reminded me why I I loved her work so much. Yeah, Adam, that that is my favorite performance by Jennifer is, is Out of Sight. That's It's awesome. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, and, 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 you know, and what happened to her was, you know, you just got swept off into the attractive female genres. Exactly. You know, I mean, out of sight proved that, you know, she could really act and was great in this kind of noirish kind of crime film. But in the end, she's Jennifer Lopez with Jennifer Lopez's looks. And so then she winds up in, you know, the wedding planner and the this and the that and playing the, you know, pretty female love interest and kind of got categorized into doing those kinds of movies uh, for, you know, gosh, the better part of a decade and a half. Absolutely. And her and her singing career. I mean, like, like well, she's now going to be a part of the Super Bowl halftime show and um that was also a big chunk of her life so yeah no absolutely it i like i said i I really do hope that it can it, it's a continuation of considered work um and now we work uh, we, we we work towards our last uh, our last biggies our our big our big time ones not to say that supporting actors aren't big time but uh we're getting on to best actor male and i'm gonna hand it over to marie um, with her choice, Fran Rogowski for Transit. Yeah, well, hmm. I've just seen this guy in um, A Hidden Life. He has a yes. small role in that. And he I think he's now my favourite actor of the moment. He's just amazing. His, his, his eyes are so expressive. Sometimes he doesn't say anything. It's just there in his face. I... I I actually don't have words to describe what he did on screen because he was just so, so fabulous in the the way he just walks through the film, dealing with everything that happens. And you just kind of know that he's, that he's accepting it and this is what happens. And there's never any shock, you know, it's just kind of acceptance. And I just loved what he did. Um, I, 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 have, I have no words. <laughs> um, how about I help? Uh, I, I do an assist here uh, for you. Like, do, uh, do. Uh, what I like, it's it's a it's a performance of trauma in a lot of ways. Uh, like, and like you know, you talked about like this the acceptance of things happening and wa- letting it wash over you. Um, I zeroed in on one thing. It felt like 
the final moment of Chinatown where they tell where, where Jack, uh, where Nicholson is just looking at the at the death laid out to him and the two cops pulling him back, keep on saying, it's just Chinatown, Jack. Don't worry about it. That mm. that look is at the core of his performance in in a lot of ways in transit. It's like this unacceptance of the lunacy that's going around him mm-hmm. and it, but not knowing how to process it so it's just you just go through and it's a it's a it's a hugely physical performance if i'm it, it, like i don't know if you agree with me on that like it, it like it really does feel like a physical performance it does because he doesn't always respond with words mm-hmm. it it's a matter of it's not physical in the sense of you know it's an action thing and he gets involved in scuffles and fights it's not not physical no. in that sense it is it's posture it's just the way he turns his head or stares out of the window or something that's what tells you what you need to know he is a very expressive actor like it, yeah yeah you the entire time you're he's on screen and he's on screen i think it's like 90 percent of the film a uh, lot yeah yeah it's like 80 or 90% of the time like you're watching him and you don't, you, it, like you said, it's very transparent. You know exactly what he's thinking and what he's feeling. Um, it, I can understand why it would be hard to describe this film because I mean, even then now I'm, I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, I'm sounding like an idiot. People just really need to yeah. see this performance. <laughs> so that's, I'm, I, I really am glad that you chose this, uh, this, this performance because it is very special. Um, the next it, uh, the next is Scott, and Scott decided um, to uh, go with the Sandman, Sandler, in Uncut Gems. So, Scott, why don't you talk to us a little bit about this very, like, I think it's a career-changing performance. Yeah, no, it, it, I think so. And, uh, and it's just proof... Uh, as as Shane's pick that he'll talk about in a minute proves as well uh, that comedies and comedians don't get much love uh, from the Academy. And I think that's one of the things that I like about the Golden Globes is they have the um, comedy and uh, musical uh, separate category when yes. it comes to performances. I think most of their choices are kind of crazy, but I at least like <laughs> the idea uh, that, you know, you might want to separate the two. Uh, and so, uh, I think that in general, you know, comedy, I mean, when you think about things like, I mean, you know, Steve Martin's never won an Oscar, uh, you know, there are all kinds of, of, of wonderful comedic actors and actresses that you could go through. And, and in fact, you know, they talk about kind of, you know, going ugly, you know, like Nicole Kidman put on the nose or whatever and, and won, uh, an Oscar and, and, uh, Charlize won for a uh, monster. And, uh, so what winds up happening is comedians have to go serious. They, they can't win for comedy. They have to go serious. How did Robin Newman best supporting actor? Well, he played a serious part in Goodwill hunting. And so, uh, so Adam Sandler in this is a comedian kind of going serious and, and does a great job, uh, of it. And, and to me, it's a very, it's a very method kind of performance without all the little ticks and quirks that can come with a method kind of, of performance. I mean, literally probably partway through the film, I kind of forgot all about the fact that it was him. 
Uh, he just becomes this character. He's got the little, you know, mouthpiece. He's using these prosthetic teeth and, you know, he's got his hair done a certain way and he's wearing these glasses and everything. And he's got this New York uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, Jewish accent kind of thing going. And uh, and he just disappears into this part. And he's obviously, you know, the focal point of this uh, and uh, goes through an entire emotional range, you know, it's not just a, a one note, uh, kind of performance. And, uh, and so I just thought, I mean, honestly, I thought that it was the best lead performance of 2019. I mean, he would have not only been my nominee, he would have been my winner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Shane, you chose one of the like what's close to my heart like it's it's a really close to my heart performance um because of who did it it's eddie murphy um in dolomite is my name uh why don't you talk a little bit about why you chose uh this particular performance yeah so eddie murphy's had a similar career trajectory as as adam sandler i mean he's a comedic actor and he burst onto the scene in, in the 80s, you know, with 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop. And he's known for the, his bombastic, you know, comedy and, and really being an energy that you really are glued to when you're watching a film. And after that initial run in the 80s, he really has had kind of an interesting, you know, he, he chooses a lot of family films and off-the-wall comedies, a lot of stuff that just really didn't work for me. Um, he did have, I think, uh, Dream Girls in 2006, maybe. Yes. Uh, that kind of put him on the map again for, you know, being a serious actor. Um, but, but like Scott was saying, you know, if you make a bunch of comedies, you're really not going to get a ton of love uh, from the Academy or the awards bodies. Um, so you have to go serious. And Eddie Murphy doesn't necessarily go serious with Dolomite. It is a biopic, uh, but his performance really reminds me of old Eddie Murphy, you know, the Eddie Murphy from the eighties that is a, you know, a bombastic, um, loud central character that you literally cannot take your eyes off. Um, and that's kind of how I felt with Dolomite. I mean, not only was he just hilarious throughout, um, the story is, you know, it, sh it shines a light on a, a part of cinema that, you know, doesn't get mainstream love and that's, you know, exploitation, low budget cinema. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to, to pick it is it's a shame he wasn't nominated, but it's a shame that those type of films don't don't really see uh, mainstream love. And and I did like that throughout the, the course of the year, a lot of people did talk about Dolomite and there was, you know, chatter that he would get a nomination. It's just unfortunate that he didn't, because to me, uh, this this tells me Eddie Murphy is back and I hope he continues to choose these types of roles because, you know, he's one of my my favorite uh comedic actors uh, i just hope that uh he doesn't go back to making you know some of the films he's been making over the past you know 20 years yes let's stay away from the norbit please for the love of god let's stay away <laughs> from the norbit <laughs> um so we have another guest that's going to talk about my choice who was uh and to 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 kind of hop off of what scott was saying about you know scott and shane both saying about like comedic performances or like, you know, just musical performances are not necessarily the goldmine um, of award season, which is really odd nowadays because last year there was this huge push for Bohemian Rhapsody, 
for whether you liked it or not. It's not here to discuss that, but um, Teron uh, Edgerton for his performance in Rocket Man. Um, I'm actually not going to be talking about this, even though I loved the performance. I loved the movie. I I loved it a lot more than I liked Bohemian Rhapsody, even though I'm probably more of a Queen fan than I am uh, an Elton John fan. But somebody who loved this film, like absolutely adores it, uh, who writes for the uh, who writes for the movie I'll now and could not join us today, Kristen Lopez. I'm gonna actually uh, she recorded something a little special for us in talking about uh, Edgerton's performance as Elton John, and I'm gonna hand it over to her for a few uh, for a few moments, and then after that I'll come back and we will announce the winner. So what can I say about Taron Edgerton as Elton John and Rocket Man? It is utterly perfect. I think everything that Rami Malek supposedly achieved at, he won an Oscar for it, uh, Taron Edgerton does better. I mean, he sings his songs for starters. No lip sync in there. Uh, he has I think Elton John's I don't want to use the term je ne sais quoi because that sounds so pretentious but he has the ability to create humanity for a figure that I think feels so larger than life. You come to understand his motivations and even at his weakest points when he's at his worst you still root for him and I think that has to do with Taron Edgerton's empathy specifically and his ability to rock all those costumes it's just utter perfection and I hate that Bohemian Rhapsody exists more because now it's deprived us of what is a far superior biopic. Not only should Taron Edgerton have a Best Actor nomination, I think the movie should be a Best Picture nominee and everything. I think it should have way more nominations than it does. Um, so it, it's it's a perfect film, and I think Taron Edgerton is the heart and soul of it. All right, we are back, and the like what I loved about this uh, and I could see it was that there was definitely love spread around to everybody, but there was one clear winner with 53% of the vote. It was Adam Sandler and uncut gems. Um, does anybody want to add on to what Scott was saying about, uh, or Shane, did you, I, I know Marie hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> she will be seeing it shortly on Netflix, but um, Shane, did you want to add anything to the conversation about Sandler and uncut gems? I mean, I'll, I'll just add that, I mean, it's it's a travesty that he was not nominated. Uh, this is probably the one uh, nomination that really pretty much reached into my heart and, and pulled it out. Uh, I really was, I mean, I know a lot of the, the punditry around it was saying that he wasn't going to get a nomination. He was kind of on the outside looking in. But for me, it was it's my favorite performance of 2019. Uh, going into 2019, I never would have told you that a new Adam Sandler movie was pretty much one of my favorite movies of the year. And that Adam Sandler was going to be the guy that's going to give, you know, my favorite performance of the year. But I, I felt like what he did with that, like Scott mentioned, he did kind of go method with it. And I within the first just few minutes, I completely forgot I was watching Adam Sandler on screen. I was watching his character go through the, the different, uh, motions and it's just insane that you know he was he was bypassed on this absolutely and i think that they're also the probably the reason why you want your heart was ripped out was because you know that jack and jill 2 is coming 
<laughs> that's that's my other fear, Adam, is that he made you know, if he doesn't get nominated, what's he gonna go make now? He didn't get any respect well, he did get respect, of course, but not through the Academy. Yes. Uh, so so what is he gonna is he gonna make grown ups three now? You know, what is his career gonna you know, hopefully his agents and you know, the people around him are, are gonna push him in the right direction, but you know, who knows? Absolutely. I, I don't know either. It's kind of scary. I literally f- have a feeling that he's gonna like like, like, there's something, like, I feel like he's going to try to talk to Al again, and he'll get Al and Bob involved. Stop. Stop. I, I'm, Stop. I'm just telling you, and then Pesci's going to get involved, <laughs> and it's going to be some kind of digital de-aging movie, like, that, that makes fun of the Irishman in some weird way. They'll be called The Painters. And it'll be taking place over, like, generations. I know. Sandler doesn't listen to this, but I, I imagine if he heard it, he'd be, Oh, booker de bickle-ba-doo! And writing this stuff down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that it's coming. Um, And I'm going to just add on to this. I really, like... It's such... Like, it is such a special performance. But I, I also need to add that it's not just him. He has huge assists from a couple of key people in this movie, Adina Menzel gives him something that I don't think that he's had before, which is somebody who's his age that basically knocks him down and calls out everything that you've ever wanted to call Adam Sandler out for his movies at a certain point. And the, the most amazing part about that moment is that he takes it and he takes it hard. Like, you feel every moment, every word that Adina Menzel pushes out at him. And it's not just her. It's like it's like the Safdie brothers know what they're doing. And they know the icon. And they're tearing it apart. And it's beautiful. Um, Jennifer Fox, who ha- comes out guns blazing in a... Julia, date- oh, Julia, Julia Fox. Fox. Sorry, not Jennifer Fox. Julia Fox. Julia Fox, yeah. Yeah, who plays Julia and... Uh, her role in this is is it's a very specific role and I won't ruin it for people because it's going to make it's going to rub people the wrong way like that haven't seen it they go oh I don't think so and it'll come in with preconceived notions um but her assist in this movie too is amazing but the one the one that I love is um it's it's a two it's a twofer it's first um it's oh gosh what's his name I Judd Hirsch as his father, his put upon father is amazing and gives this performance that's so put upon and exasperated like father, like he's dealt with his, his son for so long. It's not even funny. Um, it, it, it helps, it helps the Sandler performance in a way that I don't think that many people would actually see in in the same way that Adina Menzel helps. Um, but finally, the one that the one that nobody is talking about um, is Eric Bogosian. Eric Bogosian as 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 Arno, who the ifs ands or whys of why like Arno is such a great character and. And him and like uh, Sandler and Bogosian work so well together is one of the key kind of things that is kept from you in the plot. And I'm not going to ruin it, but Bogosian, like we got like nobody is talking about how good he is in this film. Anybody want to add on to the Bogosian love or 
Are we good? <laughs> oh no, I, absolutely. And yeah, I totally uh, and I agree. And, and I think that it, when you watch it a second time, it becomes more obvious because not knowing kind of any of their history with one another, not knowing any of the things that you ultimately know by the end of the movie changes the way that you look at him from the first moment that you see him if you rewatch the film. And so there's a lot that he is doing with just facial expressions and body language and stuff like that, that the first time through the film, you may not get why any of it matters. And then when you watch it the second time, it's all great. So yes, no, I agree. Especially if you, uh, if you watch the movie multiple times, which, uh, uh, I did over the holidays with various groups of friends. Um, it, um, uh, it, it makes his, his performance even better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. And so we move on, uh, we're moving on to best actor female and, what we're going to do is hand it over to Scott again. He just talked, but he's actually going to talk about, or actually, I'm sorry, Marie, because we're doing it in alphabetical okay. order. Uh, Marie um, chose uh, Cao Xiao uh, for Ash is the Purest White. Uh, so, Marie, why don't you talk to us a little bit about why she was your nomination for Best Actor Female? Well, first of all, just to, to be absolutely pedantic about it, it's Ash's purest white. Oh. There's, there's no the in the title. No. Okay. It doesn't matter to me, but I do like to have things correct. No, no, um, absolutely. <laughs> I was really pleased that you let me have this because um, this film did the festival circuit in 2018, but it didn't get a wider release than that anywhere until last year. Yes. So. I hedged my bets and I gave you a couple of other options, but I really wanted this one first if it was allowed, and it was. Mm-hmm. Um, now, an apologies for pronunciation. Tao Zhao. I, I don't know. Uh, my Chinese is not up to much. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a very strong center of a film that is dominated by violent men. But she is the strongest thing in the whole film. it's a sprawling film it covers nearly 20 years of her life through three different phases of her life but also in the background you see the changing face of China as a country and there is some beautiful parallel between the country's development and coming to terms with itself and becoming a stronger player in the world and paralleled with her and she becomes, she goes through incredible hardships and then comes out of it a really strong person in the centre of her world. And she carried this whole thing just magnificently, especially as there are not that, there are women in it, but generally they are transitory or they're just on the edges of what's happening. And the men are just the ones who have the power, except for her. And She takes it back. And she is in complete control of everything. And I thought she was fabulous at the center of this. I'm going to add on to that. The reason why like, I allowed this one was not only because um, it was actually released in 2019 in the U.S. through Cohen Media. Uh-huh. Um, so, But I'm going to add on to this. I, I've seen this because I actually Cohen Media sent regularly sends me 
Blu-rays and I didn't get to 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 watch this but then you nominated her and I was like you know what I've been meaning to do this because I love a good Asian gangster film because they always do a little bit different and mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. she is she is so good and I pray to god that no US producer looks at this and goes I can make this into a into a, a remake no no don't do that because what you said is right like absolutely 100% like the how the film is so kind of intertwined with the development of China over uh, over the last two decades it, it's definitely uh, something that plays a big part in that movie. So yes, absolutely. I I definitely mm-hmm. thank you again. And I just wanted to let people know that it is available on Cohen Media, Blu-ray out there. I think it's like 20 bucks right now on Amazon. So just do yourself a favor and get it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next one, uh, the next um, actress, uh, Scott's actually going to talk about Florence Pugh in Midsommar. Um, and actually, Scott, I kind of want you to... The, I, I'm pretty sure that you're going to say this, but are you not like, are you nominating her for the director's cut? <laughs> uh, Adam knows my backstory with this, uh, with this movie. I have to tell you, I went and saw the theatrical cut of, uh, of Midsommar and I thought, eh, you know, it, it's fine, but she was amazing. And so I thought this is going to be for me, one of these kind of Capote like movies, this tremendous performance in a film that was kind of like, eh, it was all right. And uh, I had lots of complaints with the theatrical cut uh, of um, of Midsommar. And so then uh, they announced that the director's cut was coming out uh, and they were going to put it into theaters. And it didn't just have like a few minutes tacked on to it. It had like a half an hour uh, restored to it and it's full scenes uh, sometimes the director's cuts are just like, you know, an extra 30 seconds at the beginning of a scene, an extra 30 seconds at the end of a scene uh, on a few scenes. And so it's got three, four or five extra minutes. But in this, they wholesale put portions of the movie uh, back in. And so the funny thing was, I don't think I've ever had this happen in, in, in my life, was it was almost like I had given my notes of my complaints directly to Ari Aster and he just went out and filmed for me the scenes that fixed all of those problems because the director's cut was literally almost bullet point for bullet point, the criticisms that I had with the theatrical cut. And so I went from thinking, I really don't like this movie, but I love Florence Pugh's performance to I absolutely love this movie and then love her performance even more. Uh, because she was given uh, a couple of more scenes and a couple of scenes that I think are pivotal. I mean, I think part part of what I thought was lacking in the theatrical cut was the motivation for why the characters were doing what they were doing. Their their reactions to things seemed kind of extreme to me. And so I was like, well, I guess we're supposed to just accept that they're, you know, in their backstory and things that were not being shown, various things have happened that would make them react this way. And the answer is no. The the stuff that would make them react this way is the stuff they cut out of the movie. And so uh, so once you put that back in, uh, I had a much greater appreciation of the film. Uh, I think it's great. The director's cut is really, in my opinion, the only version that I would recommend to somebody. Uh, but she's just great throughout i thought she was tremendous in the theatrical cut even better 
uh, with more to do in the director's cut. And, and to me, it's just an examination of, uh, or an example of rather, um, a director having to have the faith to have written this, he's going to direct this. And in the end, whether it works or not is totally up to her. Uh, because if you don't believe her character, none of the rest of it works. And so, uh, so it's just, uh, you know, an amazing performance that she just has to essentially carry this whole film. And, and ultimately, you know, my favorite version is a three hour film. And so, uh, horror gets no love, uh, from the Academy, kind of like comedy. And so, uh, no way in the world did I ever expect her to get a nomination for this. I was happy to see her get a nomination for, for little women, uh, she's not going to win Laura <laughs> turns going to win, but I wish she would win, uh, for little women. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, she's definitely, uh, my nominee for, uh, for Midsommar. Absolutely. I, it's, it's a good choice. Um, just so that you guys know the director's cut that Scott is talking about is actually on iTunes, um, as a extra feature. When you buy Midsommar, you can't get the director's cut, um, through physical media. And so, uh, if you want that director's cut, it, like it's not on disc, you have to actually go on and buy it on a streaming service and then it's concluded as a special feature. Um, though. And, and right now it's like cheap. I mean, I think I just saw something that it was like eight bucks, nine bucks, something like that on, uh, on iTunes. And so that's where I got it. And, uh, so right now it's a, it's a deal. Absolutely. And uh, more like because of the fact that we've talked about this before on the podcast, um, the director's cut is available, but it's available in the uh, in, in Europe. So if you were a more crafty person that likes to buy non-region Blu-rays um, or, um, you know, outside of U.S. Blu-rays, uh, you can go and find it yourself. I'm not going to I'm going to show you the path. I'm just not going to lead you through the path. <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, now. On to another horror film. Uh, Shane's going to talk to us a little bit about why he chose Lupita Nyong'o in Us. So take it away, Shane. Yeah, so uh, her performance in Us was pretty much when I walked out of the theater. That's that's what I was left with. Uh, walking out of Us, it's a movie that I had to watch a couple times. Um, I'm still kind of mixed on whether I truly loved the film. I, I did like it. Um, but I felt like her performance really, she carried the whole, the, the entire film. She plays kind of dual roles. Um, she goes to some emotional places that, and she does, she creates um, two different polar opposite characters. Um, and the type of choices she makes, um, she does, with one of her characters, she, she does some vocal choices that are just, I'm surprised. I can only imagine Jordan Pill off to the side watching this. Um, it's it's a mesmerizing performance. It's it's really one of next to Adam Sandler. It, it's one of the the best performances I saw uh, in 2019. Um, I was captivated by everything she did on screen. Um, I think it's unfortunate. Um, the film came out in February March uh, here in the states. And I think ultimately, unfortunately, that hurt it. Um, that wasn't the case with Jordan Peele's last film, Get Out. But with us, uh, it kind of fell out of the conversation, I think, maybe because of the mixed results uh, as far as the 
critical reception. Um, everyone was unanimous in Lupita's uh, performance, um, but as the year kind of waned on, um, she wasn't being brought up in any conversations, and and that's truly unfortunate. Um, it was truly my, it was my favorite performance uh, by a female uh, in 2019. Absolutely. And if you guys want to see, if you guys want to do something, I'm just going to recommend this. Um, watch this with Little Monsters. They're both horror movies, both starring Lupita Nyong'o. And if you want to see the range of of a truly great actress and soon-to-be star, watch those two films and you will see what we're talking about. And you may not even recognize like her, it like it just as the performances are just so wildly different and tonally different, which that's the skill and the grace of a really, truly great actor. Finally, we come to my choice. And again, I'm sharing the love and the wealth of, of being able to talk about these films. And again, Spencer Howard is coming in to talk about Aquafina from The Farewell. Um, one of the bigger egregious misses also again from the Academy. And I'm just going to go ahead and let, um, let him talk about it because he was so struck by the farewell, um, and this performance. Hi, this is Spencer from supermassivepop.com. Um, I'm here with one of my alternate nominees for this year's Oscars. Um, this one, uh, this category is, uh, lead female actress. Um, and my nominee, uh, is Aquafina from uh, The Farewell um, by Lulu Wong. Um, she plays Billy, the lead character, who is um, sort of in a family who has decided to make a lie uh, the reality for their, their grandmother who's been diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. She is the American-raised um, Chinese daughter who comes back uh, to, to her family and really questions the, the situation. Um, the thing about Aquafina that I have enjoyed so much is her uh, comedy. I mean, she's so well known for her roles in Crazy Rich Asians and Ocean's 13. She's just been hysterically funny um, in, in her career. Um, and the thing that I really love about the performance in The Farewell is how she uses that um, that humor uh, to respond to the absurdity of the situation. Um, and she also keeps the, the whole performance grounded in uh, humanity that um, doesn't let the... The, it's, it's, the story's based on a true story, but the idea of how crazy it is seems like it should be made up. And so when you're telling some, some true stories, if you lean into the truth... Uh, in a certain way, it then sounds so much like a fiction, and and instead she makes everything feel more real um, by sort of stripping away the overt comedy and reacting um, like any human would to the absurdity. But she sort of has that perfect comedic awareness of when something is crazy enough to be um, upsetting or. Um, amusing um, and she can sort of layer the challenge of, of being in the situation uh, scene by scene uh, when the in, in amazing scenes with her grandmother uh, and I where she just uh, so much loves her grandmother but also wants to be truthful because she feels like that's what she should do and then and she's balancing also her understanding of her family and the bigger uh, role she plays within it even though she's been thousands of miles away for most of her life. Um, 
And it's never one big speech. It's never one big moment. Sometimes it's a slow motion shot um, of just her determination or her um, understanding of, of the decisions she's made um, that that are really extremely powerful to me this year, um, more so uh, than almost any of the other uh, uh, actual nominees this year. Um but yeah, Aquafina, it's my pick for, for Best Actress of the Year. And full disclosure, The Farewell was my favorite movie of the year um, on a personal and uh, as critical level as I, as I would you know, give my opinions. Um, as I thought it was the best movie of the year as well. Um, and she was uh, one of the best things in it. But there's not too many off elements in The Farewell. I don't think there's really any. I think it's a movie that works in every way. But Aquafina is sort of the key to that. Um, and, and, you know, just thinking about it in terms of the Oscar angle, um, I also think it would be really good for Aquafina to, to, to have been nominated. Um, you know, she's, she, I'm, I'm very happy for her to do uh, comedy and to make me laugh. Um, but the doors, the, the nominations can open. Um, even a win can open um, are, are pretty great. I know they're sort of the joke of the Oscar curse in certain cases, but in Aquafina's case, I think at um, this time and her age and, and the future ahead of her, I think this could have made certain things easier. Um, but we have uh, learned through the history of cinema that maybe the challenge of not getting nominated is the inspiration uh, for the next great thing that she'll do. Um, so I sort of look at it like I wish she were nominated so her career could kind of be more hers to mold, but maybe it will be even more so hers that she didn't get nominated. But she was, for me, um, the best, uh, the best uh, actress uh, of the year in a lead performance. Thank you, Spencer. Um, now, with this, um, with this particular category, what I loved so much about it was that it was a tight race for a bit, and then one person ended up winning. Um, but the love was spread throughout. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, the winner uh, with thirty-seven percent of the uh, vote is Lupita Nyong'o. So, golf clap, awards clap for Lupita. <laughs> Did anybody want to add to what Shane was talking about in regards to her performance in Us? Yeah, you know, she, um, the one thing I think can't be overlooked in that film is the fact that she's basically playing two characters. And so, uh, you know, it's an amazing performance in general, but then it's it's incredible because she plays these two distinct personalities and and there are times that uh when she's in essence doing a scene with herself that you know regardless of costuming uh and the way that you know she's dressed or what have you you would just be able to tell which person was which uh from her demeanor from the performance itself and so uh that is is an incredible feat and then the other thing is you know just from like a horror movie perspective and being a fan of those kind of films, you know, there isn't all that much that like scares me or creeps me out and, and, and no offense, uh, uh, especially if it's a woman, I mean, in the sense that I'm a six foot two big guy built like, you know, a linebacker in the NFL, uh, though, uh, maybe not that well built, but <laughs> size wise, <laughs> Uh, comparable to a linebacker in the NFL. Uh, and so, you know, a little five foot five uh, woman is, is normally not a frightening thing to me. And I got to tell you, if I came into my living room and found the person uh, that, uh, that she plays in, in that scene where she kind of first has a speaking role uh, as, as kind of the doppelganger character, 
I would have been freaked out beyond words. That could freak me out in the theater. And so, uh, so I thought that it was not only just a, a great performance, but also uh, just what a great, you know, horror performance because that character is just so creepy. And so uh, I think if if it had been in a in a different genre, which of course it would have been a completely different performance if that were the case, uh, that you know she probably would have gotten more uh, awards love uh, than she did because uh, it's a uh, it's a tremendous performance. May I ask a question? Absolutely. So <clears throat> obviously I'm the not horror person here and I've clearly never seen either of those because um, I have to watch horror movies in broad daylight when they <laughs> on my TV. So while I'm compiling this year's Marie versus horror column, which of the two us on Midsummer would you recommend? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's tough. That's yeah, that's very tough. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say the same thing. Um uh they're totally different movies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Midsommar is more of kind of like uh you know what would honestly be interesting about that is it is so out of the Wicker Man British school of horror. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. The original be... Wicker Man, not the yes, UK yes, yes. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. Not the comedy, <laughs> the horror film. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that would make it interesting just okay. because that, that might hit in your, you know, your kind of cinematic wheelhouse there. Uh, but uh, but Us is a, 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 a tremendous movie as well, so it would be a hard pick. Yes, I really like to get out, so that's why I'm thinking... But, uh, yeah, Us is definitely it. completely different than Get Out, for sure. Okay. Well, okay, I might have to watch both, but then something else has to slip, so <laughs> Let, let's move on. I'll worry about that later in the year. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so uh, with that, we are down to our last two. Um, the first is uh, going to be Best Director. Um, so with that, I want... Um, so we're going to have Marie talk about... Maddie Diop, I am, hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, Diop, I Diop, think, yeah. Okay, Diop yeah. for her uh, work in Atlantics. So, Marie, take it away. Yeah, this is one that um, it's too, how do it's so difficult to describe because it starts out as one thing and becomes something else. And there is a turning point in the middle where I think you you think oh i was thinking what what on earth is going what have i missed mm -hmm. and i thought i thought i dozed off at one point and missed something significant and then i went back and thought no she's she's just letting us discover what's going on at the same pace as the characters in the middle of it and it's so beautifully done but of course the thing with these kinds of things is it covers up the horror beneath when you really think about what's going on. And I'm trying to talk in general around this because if people haven't seen it, I think they should. And I think they should go in with no knowledge or very little knowledge of what they're going to see. And that's all down to the direction that Matty Diop has done. So you go in and you, you think you're going to watch something about, about um, land and um, buildings and economy growth of economy in Senegal and then it kind of becomes 
something different. There's a little bit of corruption and a hint of a hint of abuse and things like that. And then suddenly something completely different happens. It takes you off into this and it's not a dream, it's real. But it's it was just so beautifully woven. It's uh I think she deserves an awful lot of credit for pulling together all of these socially relevant strands together with the romanticism and etherealism and emotion of what's going on. Absolutely. Um, Atlantics is actually available on Netflix right now. Um, it it, is. Again, it was another Marie film that at the end of the year, when I saw it, it made her list, her best of lists. I had to watch it when I did watch it. And she had mentioned it to me beforehand and I just hadn't gone around to see it when I did. It is a, it, it it's, it's definitely an announcement of a filmmaker. It It's, mm-hmm. and I understand why she's talking around certain things because to talk about, to, to like, to actually watch the film and see it and actually describe it to somebody would be ruining its power in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's like, it's definitely one of those things that it's one of those films that, yeah, you guys definitely have to go in blind to see. Um, glad that she chose it, but it is available on Netflix. So there's no reason why you can't watch it. Uh, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. You, you picked the big one. Um, talk to us about the Safety brothers and uncut gems. Yeah, you know, one thing I was going to say real quick is I think Atlantix is also going to be on the Criterion Collection later this year. Oh, yes, it is. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of Netflix films got announced as, as having Criterion editions coming. Uh, what, The Irishman? Marriage, uh, Story. Marriage Story. And then um, Atlantix the t- and the TV series that? American Factory. Yeah, no, but that's a that, is that a TV? That's a movie. Oh, yeah. is it a movie? Oh, I thought it was a yeah. Yeah, it's a feature. Oh, yeah. okay. So, uh, isn't it the Obamas that produced that one? Yes. Yeah. yeah so actually, that's right. Yeah, so I know. I thought little, it was a TV series for some reason. Okay. Anyways, I'm sorry. My little, bad. Uh, un- uncompensated plug for the Criterion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, uncut gems. You know the the, the interesting thing. And all of this is, to me, it kind of gets back to the A word, as they call it, auteur. And do you believe in, like, the auteur theory or or don't you? And so, you know, this debate goes back to, you know, 50-plus years. Uh, I can even remember when uh, Andrew Saris and uh, Pauline Kale were writing all these nasty columns back and forth to each other uh, about uh, about the auteur theory and whether or not, you know, uh, the director is the ultimate architect of a film and uh, and whether or not they kind of put their stamp on it. And and honestly, I mean, I understand that films are a collaborative, you know, medium. Uh, they're, they're probably the most collaborative medium that there is uh, with the performances and cinematography and just, you know, production design, all the things that have to come together and converge. But to me, uh, you know, I never really thought that the auteur theory was that big of a debate. I just kind of took it as a given uh, that there is, you know, you know, the train has a conductor and uh, and they're deciding what are these things going to look like? What are these, you know, performances going to be modulated like? Uh, how is all of this going to come together? And so to me, the Safdie brothers, you know, have a style. That have, I mean, you could show me you know, theoretically, you know, five, 10 minutes of a movie 
and say, guess who made that? And I could probably say, oh, that must be a new film by the Safdie brothers or one of theirs that I haven't seen because it just seems like their stuff. And so they've just developed this really interesting filmmaking style. And, uh, and I just find it to be very distinctive and, uh, and uncut gems was, I kind of felt like so far the pinnacle of, uh, of that approach to, to filmmaking. And so, uh, to me, um, you know, they were deserving of a, of a best director, uh, nomination. And so, uh, they were my nomination for this episode. Absolutely. Um, Shane, you chose Greta Gerwig for Little Women. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that choice? Yeah, so I mean, this this kind of is the obvious outlier um, for Best Director for Greta Gerwig. Um, I think it's definitely egregious that we have um, so many films in 2019 that were directed by females um, – like Marie brought up with Maddie Diop, I mean, Atlantix was incredible. It's it's the kind of feature debut that doesn't happen often. Um, and you have several other filmmakers that I saw this year that, you know, it's just strange. In, in 2019, you have no female directors nominated uh, in this category for the Oscars. Uh, so it's it's nice that in our alternate Oscars, we have three females Um uh, but with Greta Gerwig, I chose her mainly because I saw in Lady Bird, it was, it was a great feature. She arrived, uh, I think she had directed some shorts and maybe another feature before this, but before Lady Bird. Um, I, I had... I'll check, uh, uh, I'm going to go in 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 just, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, she actually, like the rumor is, is that she co-directed Francis Ha with, with Baumbach. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's that's where that comes from. The, okay, the, I knew the I'd future. heard something. Yeah. Sorry, okay, continue. But, uh, I'm so sorry about that, but continue. Yeah, yeah but so, so Lady Bird definitely – I loved the film. It definitely felt like a great first feature is what it kind of felt like to me. And in Little Women, it's definitely her graduation uh, is what I like to call it because she's taking on an adaptation for one, which is not easy. She's taking on a period drama, which is not easy. Um, and she has at the forefront of that – um, some of the, the best uh, working female actresses uh, in the industry right now. And she was able to take all of those pieces, put it into one puzzle, and you came out with a film that was uh, uplifting, uh, heartbreaking at times. Um, and ultimately, it was one of the, the better films I saw of the year, and it was helmed by a woman. Um, and I, w- I really would like to see more female directors get the love and, and unfortunately they're not. Um, I think Greta Gerwig's going to be around for a while and I wouldn't be surprised if she gets another nomination and I'm sure numerous nom- nominations. Absolutely. Um, and continuing on with the love of female directors, uh, I chose Celine Skamaya, I think is uh, how you pronounce her last name for, um, I, actually, you know what, Marie, could you help me out with this one? It's Siama. 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 Yeah. Okay. Thank you guys. I'm a terrible with names. I'm really, am. um, for <laughs> portrait of a lady on fire. Um, I'm going to keep my, my words to a minimum about this film. I will tell you this much. The first time I saw it, I, I 
didn't know what to think because it wasn't because I for lack of for lack of thoughts about it. It was just that it was an overwhelming emotional experience. I've since seen it four times to kind of try to sort out. Yeah, to try to sort out how like how I needed to dis- my review is coming in February because it's not being released until February. It was a there was an Academy run that was a qualifying run and then um they didn't uh, they weren't going to release it until in the US until February. Um I've watched it four times since just to sort out my thoughts about it and I think I've kind of nailed down what I think about it, but um she has been working towards something great for a very long time. Her like um, tomboy was the first movie I saw of hers and it was just striking. And she's just, she's hit a grand slam with this film. I'm actually kind of, I'm almost thinking about putting it on my list again this year (laughs) in 2020, just holding it because it's my reviews, not till 2020, but I saw, I already added it to my 2019 list. Um, It's something very special. A very, very special in the kind of way that Moonlight was special. Um, I'm just, it's like, like Marie talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. It's that one inch barrier. It's the subtitles. Um, Like I said, this is a beautiful, striking film. And it's all because of her and her direction and her leading the charge in this movie that is ostensibly a twofer. It's, it's not a really big like film. Even though it's set in big, in a big, like, it deals with big emotions, it deals in a big setting, but it's so intimate. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm absolutely, I I don't want to say more because it's not come out yet fully, but it's something that I wanted to put on the list. And actually, somebody's going to talk about it in a bit. Um, But with that... Let's go ahead and talk about our winners. Uh, or our, well, well, I already, shit, I just ruined it. Yes. Um, Josh and Benny Safdie, those two crazy madmen from New York, have won four uncut gems. Um, the greatest thing about this, guys, what I love about our audience is that they actually spread the love between all of the, this is one that I'll give, I'll give a little bit of transparency. Matt, uh, Maddie Diop and uh, Celine Again, guys, help me out Siyama. here. Siyama. Siyama. Yeah, Siyama both got 11% of the votes. Greta got 33% of the votes. And then finally, the Safties got 45% of the vote. So um, anybody want to add, like, um, Shane, I know that you didn't talk about the, the Safdie brothers' direction. Did you want to add anything to what um, to, to what Scott had said about their direction? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much i kind of echo what scott said i mean these these guys are they have a very uh, noticeable style and it's when i first saw uh, the film good time thinking back in 2017 um i definitely saw that it's always fast-paced frenetic kind of all all over the place almost avant-garde in a way uh cinema verite like scott had mentioned it just feels like you're inside the film and Uncut Gems was, it's kind of their, it's their best, it, it, it's kind of the the same thing I was talking about with, um, with Greta and Little Women. It's like their graduation from, uh, they've made tons and tons of short films and and some features. Um, and they're kind of, this is kind of the pinnacle of where they're at now. And I can't wait to see what, what's coming next. I don't know what's on their horizon, but whatever they, whatever they make, I, I will definitely be, in the seats uh, at the cinema ready to watch. 
Absolutely. Um, I'm going to I'm going to just hop on just a little bit. Um, it's funny because like um, I I feel like people are like people have compared this to like compared the direction to like Scorsese on meth, which I don't think is really accurate. I feel like if anybody they they're if anybody that they're actually really um, they're really kind of like not homaging, but their, their closest akin to is John Cassavetes. Um, I feel like, yeah, that's a very good comp right there. Yeah. They're very Cassavetes, very, um, Elaine May from, uh, Mikey and Nikki. I, uh, that one I think is, is a, is a bigger one is a bigger, heavy influence on uncut gems. Uh, when you, if you've seen that Elaine May film, but like, like I feel like they're more Cassavetes than anything else, and I'm I I'm always truly shocked when people go, oh yeah, it's like, it, it it's they're they're like Scorsese on meth, and I'm like like Scorsese on meth, that's that's impossible. That would be like going back in time. He would do like if Scorsese did meth, I, I don't even know what would happen. So, but it, <laughs> like I said, it's I. It, it's well deserved. It's well earned, and it's just a shock that the Academy has not shown the love to to this film. And it almost feels like the next film they do, they always do this. Like the Academy never gets it right the first time, um, though occasionally they do. Um, they're gonna they're gonna heap undue amounts of praise on their next film, which is kind of like okay, well, I mean that's the way it goes. But here, we're doing it right the first time. Um, so, with that, we are going on to Best Picture. And, Marie, you have been... You have made a convincing argument about Transit, but why don't you talk a little bit more about Transit? Because that was your nomination for Best Picture. It was. I mean, it, it's it's lingered with me an awful long time. And do you know what's really disappointing is... It didn't even, it wasn't even Germany's submission this year, yep. last year, whatever. Uh, I'm not the film that was nominated was good. And we've talked about that in a previous conversation that we had. But um, I'm just so disappointed that it didn't get the, the coverage. So I've just been banging every drum that there is to say, go and watch it. Um, because it is different. I think you can go and you can watch films about the war, Second World War. You can go and watch films about refugees. You can, but this does so many different things in such a quietly understated way. But you know that the director knows exactly what he's doing. Um, Franz Rogowski knows exactly what he's doing. And the thing as a whole is just a film that I think I'm just trying to encourage as many people as possible to go and see it um it is kind of hellish and heaven and it's there's a wine bar and lots of conversations and it just draws you in and i made it sound probably really quite boring but i, I, I just go just go watch it and then come back to me tell me i'm wrong Absolutely. <laughs> um, again, it's available on Amazon Prime, guys. Please do yourself a favor and watch this. Um, the next, uh, the next film is uh, Scott's choice, which is uh, Trey Edward Soltz's Waves. So, Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about this one, 
or sum up it because we have talked a little bit about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a little switcheroo here at the the best picture. It's like I uh, uh, was singing the praises of the uh, screenplay directing uh, and uh, acting of, of Uncut Gems, and then I find myself in the uh, final round here talking about Waves for Best Picture. Uh, but they were both, I mean, honestly, I think they were like maybe two and three on my top ten of the year. And so uh, with Waves, you know, Trey Edward Schultz is just this great portrayer of family dysfunction. Uh, and so his, his first film, Cretia, uh, was a look at, you know, family dysfunction from substance abuse. Uh, an aunt who has a substance abuse issue uh, that she is supposedly over uh, getting better with uh, and comes to um, see everybody at Thanksgiving. And uh, actually, is it his, is it his mother? Increase. See, I get confused because his real life Anne actually played the part. So anyway, but a uh, uh, a relative coming to uh, to Thanksgiving, uh, and you just watch this family kind of implode from all of this this baggage, and then uh, with it comes at night. Uh, you had a a film that kind of took your zombie apocalypse, post apocalyptic, what have you, uh, kind of premise. And, and took a look at what, what what kind of strain would this put on a family unit. And so it's like with each of his films, it's some kind of look at stress and strain on the family dynamic and and how does that play out. And so Waves is, is no different. I don't want to go into uh, what the particular stresses on the family are because that gives too much away for folks who haven't seen it. Uh, but it's this examination of this family that really seems to to have it together. And then he gives you a little peek at kind of the the loose threads there uh, where things could come apart at the seams. And then the movie is about pulling those threads and having it begin to come apart at the seams. And where do things go? And so uh, it's it's definitely a, a thematic uh, you know, uh, a thread that runs its way through all of the films that he's made thus far and waves is just the best one yet. And, uh, stylistically with, uh, with the cinematography, with the score, uh, it's just like every department in making that film is firing on all cylinders. And so, uh, it's definitely, uh, one of the best films of, of 2019. Absolutely. It is definitely a staggering film. Definitely. Um, Shane, uh, <laughs> you chose Uncut Gems. Why don't you tell us, uh, why don't you like, you know, kind of wrap up everything with Uncut Gems since we've talked about it so much on this uh, on this podcast? Yeah, I, I kind of feel bad for Maria. She hasn't seen the film and, and we've kind of spent the, the better part of this podcast uh, talking uh all around uncut gems and the performances and the direction and the screenplay. Um, you know, I continue to kind of sing its praises, um, from, from pretty much every aspect. I thought the script was, uh, excellent. The direction, of course, the Safdie brothers, like I've said, I'll continue to watch pretty much anything they make. Um, and of course, Adam Sandler's performance is kind of at the head of it all. Um, he was just mesmerizing throughout, um, and like Adam, you had brought up that he is supported by a lot of um, 
unorthodox characters that you really wouldn't think uh, would be in a film like this, like Idina Menzel, and then um, you've got uh, Eric Bogosian, and then really someone else that kind of stood out too was Kevin Garnett. I mean, he wasn't the first he wasn't the first choice, but he's a basketball player that you know um, I was not expecting anything going into the film, and he was like one of my favorite kind of side characters in the film i mean he's puts on a great performance uh, he's very believable naturalistic um and you know the fact that the safety brothers can kind of take you know these different actors you got character actors and you've got people that are non-actors and you have uh sports players and you've got you know adam sandler at the helm who obviously is coming into this film with a lot of question marks, you know, definitely he's got a, a track record and they're able to put all that together. Uh, and they end up with, you end up with a film that for me, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, best picture nominees and best picture winners over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. And if you look at all the winners, let's just talk about the winners, not the nominees. You know, I haven't really revisited any of those movies. I think I've revisited one or two, uh, moonlight for sure. I've revisited quite a bit, uh, with the rest. I really haven't revisited much. Uh, there might be an outlier here and, and there that I do, but usually they don't tend to get it right. Uh, with Uncut Gems, I think that's what stood out for me is this is a film I'm going to watch. You know, when it's released on Blu-ray, I'll probably pick it up and I'll watch it again. Um, I've already seen it, I think, three or four times. And it's probably a movie I'll probably watch once every couple of years or every few years. It's It's... And that's something to be said. I mean, with most of these, like I said, with most of these best picture uh, winners, that's you can't say that about them. You're not really going to go back and revisit them, and they're not going to stay in the consciousness. And I feel like Uncut Gems is kind of different. I think it's going to stay in the lexicon for for a while. Absolutely. Um, and then, so finally, um, again, spreading the love to, uh, for my uh, for my choice, which is a portrait of a lady on fire. I'm actually gonna uh, I'm gonna let Spencer take over for a little bit and he's going to actually talk about this particular film hi this is spencer from supermassivepop.com i'm here to provide you with an alternative best picture nominee um in this film uh it's we're not even uh, i'm not even going to shortchange it with uh you know should have been best international feature nominee i'm saying best picture nominee um i think it easily could have taken um the joker spot or um or ford versus ferrari or uh, a couple other ones in there, but um, those are the ones I'm going to knock at because I think they're easy pickings to to replace uh, this movie without much of an argument. Um, in, in my mind, I feel like this film and The Farewell could have taken those two spots and it would have been a pretty pretty solid lineup, even if a few of my favorites weren't in, in the nominees. Um, but the film that I'm here to talk to you about is uh, Celine Siama's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, this film um, is... It, it it's an incredible romance in that it follows every rule of showing and not telling in that um, everything from the setting to the inner workings of every character's emotion is on display in the way every frame is uh, every shot is framed every um, performance. Uh, every nuance of movement and looks and glances in the score, everything is just working. It's cinema. It's, you know, cinema is, is moving pictures, telling stories, right? And um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, to me, really 
peeled back layer after layer of, of feeling um, from scene to scene um, where you, you meet these characters and they change throughout the course of the film, but we actually can see that change. It's not a... Um, at the end, uh, you know, Sandra Bullock saying, you know, he didn't change me or I, I didn't change him. He changed me. It's, it's very much like you're watching these people um, uh, evolve because of their relationships with one another um, and the things they go through um, over the course of a few weeks. Um, and it's um, it's incredibly romantic. Um, it is uh, unflinchingly earnest but not sappy um, and not that sappy would be bad it's just that's not the story that's being told um, the cinematography is beautiful um, the every performance is good there's not a thing wrong with it um, and there's also not a thing that feels um, cliche other than the fact that when two people are in love they want to be together and sometimes that can't happen and if it can't happen that's hard um, so maybe some some tropes of classic romance but that's that comes with the nature of, of any kind of story and, and you boil them down they have essential elements but the way you tell those familiar stories um, that's that's the key here and to me I think they, they take the familiar of, of uh, true uh, un uh, or impossible romance and um, and make you feel like it existed in a time um, you know before us and um, that's one of the great things about uh, cinema is, is it takes us to places that uh, either um, could never exist or, or we could never have been a part of. It makes us feel as if we're a part of it or as if we have time traveled um, and, and, and stood amongst uh, characters who are actually people. Um, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire is, is one of those films. It it's, it's, takes you away um, and makes you feel like you're a part of lives. Um, that they couldn't be further from your own um, and empathize with characters. If, if, you know, it's that old Ebert thing of, you know, um, the movies are empathy machines um, and this machine is, um, is working stronger and, and harder and more efficiently uh, than most other films that came out last year. And I know there's a lot of politics and sort of Oscar uh, finagling and, and box office finagling in terms of how this movie was and um, wasn't nominated because these films have to be submitted certain ways from international for international awards. But, you know, sometimes let's break some rules. You know, I think that'd be a nice thing. It's sort of like the whole uh, horror movies don't get nominated enough. Why? I don't know. It seems to be some sort of unwritten rule. But let's just not do that. Let's just let's nominate us you know it's a great movie it should i mean not just for screenplay or something like that like like let's embrace um what isn't traditional but is amazing and portrait of a lady on fire i couldn't think of something that would be more non-traditional for a best picture nominee for the oscars um but uh also at the same time more exciting and exceptional uh, to celebrate um it has been very exciting to watch parasite be nominated this year um in a year with parasite and portrait of a lady on fire uh nominated next to a film like maybe even like the farewell that would to me like that would be a sea change in the way we're, we're honoring films on the on the largest stage and whether or not 
you appreciate the Oscars. It is the largest stage of of, of awarding and, um, and crowning victors in the in the world of uh, of cinema. And the victory really, in a lot of ways, is a footnote that leads more people to find those films at younger ages. Um, and so, to me, I look and I go, um, Do I want someone to find some sixteen or seventeen year old, you know, budding cinema cinephile in the next, you know, twenty years from now who's going through a checklist of Oscar nominees or Oscar winners? Do I really need Need them to see Ford versus Ferrari, or do I think they should, you know, would better spend their time with two hours with the portrait of a lady on fire and hands down, it's portrait all day long. All right, thank you, Spencer. Now, with an overwhelming, uh, an overwhelming choice or selection, with a seventy-two percent of the total votes, um, we have Josh and Benny Safdie's Uncut Gems wins Best Picture for the first alt Oscars for the movie Isle. Golf, yay, cl- yay golf clap! <laughs> uh, you know, this is how I win. You know, just to <laughs> take it back to to Howie and the Uncut Gems. Um, all right um i think that we've kind of said everything that we needed to say this year about um about the films that didn't get nominated and the performances that didn't get nominated um it just kind of proves to me that like you know like uh, what everybody was saying is that it is very it's a very subjective um thing uh the oscars or award seasons in general i mean we we've come up with a list of like films that weren't nominated by oscars and it's a great list Uh, i mean same could be said like uh, from another point of view people could just look at our list and go but it's all to say that like really like it's the films and to me ultimately like i don't know if it's course correcting as much as it is just being able to show that the Oscars aren't the end-all be-all pinnacle of the best, like when they say best picture, um, that could be, that's seriously up to debate. Very seriously. I mean, especially the last couple of years, um, with the exception of maybe Moonlight, is like the only one that I would honestly say is, is yeah, by far and away they got it right um, with at least best picture. Uh, did anybody want to have any other closing thoughts or um, state pejorative statements about the Oscars? Um, can I just say here, go watch more movies with subtitles. Thank you. Yes, that's please. my parting shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree with that completely. A matter of fact, you know, one of the biggest reasons that I was hoping uh, that Parasite would win Best Picture uh, would be just for that reason mm-hmm. that it would force Absolutely. people to start watch. I mean, don't get me wrong; I think it's deserving, and it would be my choice. It was my choice uh, for Best Film of 2019, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost become like this ambassador for foreign films. And so I would love to see, you know, it win, uh, you know, best picture uh, just to convince people to give foreign films uh, a try. And uh, interesting, I'd I, I lead a local society, just something I do at a local university that I've been doing for several years. And I can remember in the earliest days uh, of that film society, if I chose something foreign, people would comment 
it'd be like, oh, you're making us do subtitles again <laughs> uh, or something like that. And I will tell you those those same folks, you know, the diehards who've stayed with me uh, for three and a half years, plus the ones that kind of come in and out, you know, depending on the month. Uh, there are no comments anymore. They don't think anything about it. They just watch a, a foreign film that I've chosen like they would watch any other. Mm-hmm. And so it just, you know, in a weird way, it just kind of comes with practice. I mean, it's it's a little bit distracting for all of us at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And and then eventually, you know, you get to the point that you, you don't even really notice. And, and, and it literally, as cheesy as it sounds, opens up this whole world of cinema to you that you've never even considered. And so all of a sudden you're watching films from Iran or you're watching films from, you know, South America or what have you. And uh, and so my biggest hope is that, you know, kind of parasite fever uh, is is causing people to take note of of foreign films. Shane, anything you want to add to uh, to to the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. There's definitely, if, if you kind of follow the Oscars and in, in the trajectory of, of where things are going, you've kind of got uh, a lot of talk about um, Parasite versus 1917 right now. And I'm really, I'm definitely in the Parasite camp. I'm really hoping it wins for a lot of the same reasons that both of you have explained. I mean, it's the type of film that needs to be seen, but at the same time, it can kind of bridge that gap of, okay, now you've seen this. Now go watch some other films by great filmmakers from other countries that, yeah, it's subtitles, but that doesn't change uh, great cinema. Mm-hmm. I, I did have um, – and this wasn't in any of the categories. Um, Adam, I hope it's okay that I'm bringing this up. No, absolutely. Go there right was, ahead. There, we didn't go over best song. It's, it's usually a category that really means nothing in the Oscars for the most part. But there was a song that came out this year. It didn't get – the film didn't get any love. Um but the song is just phenomenal, and it's from a small little film called uh, Wild Rose, and the song is called Glasgow, yep. and it's by it's performed yep. by Jesse Jesse Buckley, and that that song captures everything that's great about that film, and it's it was just one of the best uh, singing performances I saw all in a film last year, and it. It was just perfect, and I wish that, you know, I was hoping that, you know, an outside chance that it would get some love, but it didn't, unfortunately, so that's why I wanted to bring it up here. If you haven't seen Wild Rose, um, it's kind of about a struggling singer-songwriter based in Glasgow. She wants to move to Nashville, kind of hit it big as a singer-songwriter. She's got a daughter, and and there's some issues that go on with that. It's a pretty simple storyline, but it's it's a great, great, great little film. And it's it's capped off with a, a really great performance of, of a real beautiful song. Absolutely. That, well, I, I could Shane, totally I will. I will go ahead. Sorry. I was going to tell Shane that uh, the, the one uh, I, I vote in several groups at, at the end of the year. And one of my favorite uh, results uh, was I voted in the Georgia Film Critics Association. Uh, and first off, uh, our best picture was Parasite. Best director was Bong Joon-ho, so I was very proud of that. Lupita Nyong'o won Best Actress for us. Uh, very proud of that. But Glasgow won Best Original Song from the Georgia Film Critics. So, uh, Oh, that's was, amazing. That's yeah. so great to hear. I love yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, I was excited to see that as well because Wild Rose is a great film, and uh, and it's tough because – 
you know, when you do a film and I think of things like uh, crazy heart or a star is born or exactly. uh, wild rose, when you do a movie about musicians and music, if the music sucks, <laughs> then, then, then the movie is just awful because it's like, you know, you're listening to these terrible songs thinking, well, this person should never become famous, right. uh, you know, for that garbage. And so, uh, it just, it all lives or dies by the quality of the music, uh, and the music performances in wild rose were just tremendous. So yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point is, uh, the soundtrack of that film is tremendous. Um, I have to ask. I've seen the. I've seen the film. It's it's a great little film. Um, Marie, have you seen Wild Rose yet? I have not, but it is on Amazon Prime and it's in my queue, so I should get to that soon. If she are they Scottish? Are they yes. Scottish? Okay, then I should say that it's Glasgow. Oh well, thank you very much. You're very thank welcome. You. <laughs> Sorry. I, I am your international language correspondent. Just ask me. <laughs> but yeah, I am looking forward to seeing it. I've just never got around to it, but I've heard such good things about her performance in particular. That uh, yeah, that's on my list. All right, absolutely. Um, and the like the more shocking part to me, like the my favorite part about that, is uh, the person who wrote it. Uh, does and everybody know who wrote the song? Yeah, one of the co-writers. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'll let everybody else. Uh, uh, I I love when people have to search for something, so I'm gonna leave it at that. You guys have to figure <laughs> out who wrote the song. I will just definitely say. I will say this much. It's 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 a little shocking, but then when you read the story about why and how it happened, it's not shocking at all. Um, with uh, Marie, uh, anybody else have anything to add before we wrap this all up and put a bow on it? Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Great. Um, you know, I I just want to thank you all for taking the time out of your day, um, or your morning to talk Oscars and talk alternate Oscars and in, in film. Um, we all have we all like you know we all do this for love. It's we all have this is like a side hustle for us because we're passionate about it. So you know when you guys hear this stuff, like please promote this uh, promote this podcast for my writers because I I have nothing but love for them and I want nothing but the best for them. And they're really, I mean, as you can tell, listening to us talk for close to two and a half hours, um, they know what they're talking about. And you can they can back it up by you watching those films and just going, oh, wow, you know what? They're right. Uh, so with that, guys, we will be back next week um, with something different. Uh, I'm not 100% sure uh, what we're going to be doing, but all to say it's going to be the same level of kick-ass that we have we've been going at for the last about um, scott what has it been about two months now that we've yeah. been yes yeah. about two months so just stay tuned and we will talk to you soon i've worn out the stones in front of your doorstep coming and going coming and going Kept the lights on, I always knew that I should have said thank you a thousand miles ago But I pushed you away, put a pen in a map Then I 
got lost in the storm Had to find my way Make my own mistakes But you know that I had to go Ain't no yellow brick road Running through Glasgow But I found one that's stronger than stone Ain't no place like home Ain't no place like home Moon hanging low Over my window Shoebox of dreams Hit under Follow the bright light city of gold I had to leave to realize All I needed was here oh, We both know that there's nothing That a little time and Patsy Cline wouldn't fail Ain't no place left